0: Good evening and welcome to Dog Talk. I'm Dan Camilleri
1: and I'm Laura McKillop. We'd like to start by thanking Enduro for their ongoing support in bringing you our live weekly Q&A.
0: Today uh, we're fortunate enough to be as part of ANZAC um, week I suppose and long weekend we're fortunate enough to be speaking with uh, veteran uh, Shane Fowler um, from Canine 9 Cent Training and lucky enough for us uh, actually part of or a very big part of Hooked on Hounds. So, go Shane, how you going, mate? I'm good, mate. Thank you.
1: <laughs> how you feeling?
0: I'm um, really good, actually, yeah. Is that because you had a good dinner or? Yeah, dinner was actually amazing. Yeah. <laughs> <I> loved it. <laughs> Have to Thank the boss for that, mate. <laughs> Just make sure he doesn't take it out of your pay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> mate, uh, thanks for jumping on and having a chat with us tonight, especially, um, you know, obviously people going to listen back to this uh, pre-recorded for Anzac Day. Um, mate, you want to tell us a little bit about yourself, um, where you grew up, um, and then we'll get into a bit of, of your, uh, I suppose, your story.
2: Yeah. Um, so I grew, I was born in Lithgow over in the Blue Mountains. I spent all my childhood there pretty much up until um, 2000 when uh, my mother remarried. I moved to Sydney and then spent probably about seven years in Sydney, um, just out in the Western suburbs and uh, left high school in year, at the end of year 11. And... Um, Pretty much did nothing for about twelve months, and my mum said I had to do something with my <laughs> life. So I uh, looked at being a personal trainer, um, and also joining the military. And the military got back to me.
0: Um, Sixteen years later, here I am. I've got the beef for a personal trainer. <laughs> Come out, of, coming out around the corner some days, and I'm like, I'm just gonna uh, go back the other way, change the guns out. no ones. <laughs> Mate, right, so um I mean uh, what what did you what was your scope what you just want to get a job get out
2: yeah so I initially after like it was a, it was a pretty big push from my mum to to you know get out and do something because I was actually really terrible in high school like I was a pretty bad student and um then after I left school she was like you really need to do something with your life so I looked into that the idea of it um I really liked all through high school anyway but I Really considered it until that stage. Um, then when I applied, I actually wanted to go into infantry, um, but after I did all my uh, um, like aptitude testing and stuff like, that, they um, recommended I go into engineers, so the Royal Australian Corps of um, Engineers. So
0: I did that. And some of those to step up, they went, oh geez, you're actually I academic. Even, your I don't even know that. what
1: an infantry. Is, um, the word is I don't want
0: to insult any of my infantry <laughs>
1: friends, but
2: it's definitely a step up from infantry. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's just a different role. They had um different scope of jobs. Infantry are like they're like the you know, essentially the spine of your defense force. They're all your like your foot soldiers and stuff. Yeah. They um they take care of all like the um sniper teams like mortars, um recon teams, stuff like that. Um so they belong to real Australian regiments and engineers are just um, essentially like jack of all trades in the army so they do a lot of um, construction demolitions uh, high research they do a lot of like real niche things like water purification like there's a tsunami that they had a couple of years ago back in 2009 up um, in southeast asia they sent some engineers over there to do water purification and stuff like that so they're kind of like jack of all trades all the um, dog handlers and EOD come under
0: engineers and a lot of the tradies too, like, yeah, sparkies mm-hmm. and chippies and stuff like that. So when, um, when you got that what, what advice you should go down that path, do you think, oh, shit, I should have tried a bit harder at school or? I was actually surprised because I didn't think they asked me to do that <laughs> <laughs> with how little I tried.
2: <laughs> um, but no, I think it's more like, it's more mechanically minded sort of, um, like scope on the aptitude testing. So if you do well in the mechanical sort of movements and stuff on the aptitude tests, they, Push you down that path a little bit, but um, yeah. So I did my 2007 was when I um, enlisted. So I did all my aptitude testing, all fitness testing, stuff like that in Parramatta. Um, I actually got not recommended by the psych to join the military when I first tried. <laughs> eh. um, she she said I needed to wait six months and mature a bit. But the the actual um, defence member who was my re, my recruiter um, waved that she doesn't no, like. She she actually said to me, you remind me of my brother, and he did really well in the military, so she pushed me through. Yeah, right. Yeah. Hopefully. It, it was, was a good the, thing. Yeah, It was the blue eyes, mate. <laughs> yeah,
1: ocean blue
3: eyes. <laughs> what
1: but. originally, like, attracted you to the military? Because of PT and military very different.
2: Yeah. It's going to sound weird because I was such a bad kid in high school. I didn't really like authority. But, I don't know, it was just something about the whole structure of it. Um, even though it was, like, yeah, it's really heavy on, you know, discipline and stuff like that. I think it was more the scope of the work like being able to go places and do some cool stuff um i think the reason i didn't really apply myself in school is because none of it really interested me the only thing that really did interest me believe it or not was um pe and then um some biology actually (laughs) but yeah um i think it was more just the the opportunity there's so many different things you can do and so many different paths you can take so just that whole like
0: plethora of options really appealed to me. It's pretty simple to me. Like on the left hand you got can go to army and get fit. We could go to jail and get fit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. the army's probably the better well, guy, right? Yeah I do come from lithgow So <laughs> those are my two we options. Won't hold that against your money. Yeah. <laughs> actually um visited home a couple of weeks ago. Yeah there. Yeah. Yeah. Had your first yard trial.
2: Yeah. I um I beat uh the boss <laughs> in the uh encourage the female boss. Yeah
0: the female boss yeah, 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 yeah
2: yeah, no, that was my my very first yard trial. That was actually really cool. I hadn't seen, believe it or not, even living in the country or um, been to any yard trials as a kid or anything. So that was my very first
0: experience and it was wicked, yeah.
1: Yeah, that's cool. I loved
0: it, yeah. That's cool. We might touch on a bit of your stock stuff a bit later. Yeah. We'll get in there. And um, So, yeah, you've joined the Army. T- talk us through what, what's what's happened, mate. Where, where have you gone from there?
2: So, yeah, after my recruit training and then my uh, initial employment training, I posted to Darwin. I put the first combat en- engineer regiment up there in 2007 and spent a couple of years up there. Um, I had my, um, when I got up there, so every, every combat engineer regiment has a dog section attached to it. So they've got um, EDD teams or explosive detection dog teams that are attached as part of that unit um, and they work with all the troops and the engineers there um, throughout all their training exercises and stuff. So as soon as I got up there, I noticed they were there and I was like harassing them every every week like i think it took me four years from when i got there to actually get um on a ojts on the job training which you have to do you have to get um recommended through them to be able to go do the course back here or back here in sydney so it took me four years of harassing them like weekends off i'd be like you need help like i'll come down um when there wasn't much on at work i'd go down i was like just so annoying that i think they were just like fine (laughs) whatever like give them a run um,
0: so had you seen them in action or you just... You no, up until around? that
2: point, only only training like in and around um, work. The first time I saw them like actually working for real was 2010, uh, end of 2010, um, my first deployment to Afghanistan. We had three or you know, four dog teams attached to us. So the, the contingent that went over, we had four dog teams there and we have one with us at all times. So um, the... I was lucky enough to have a, a dude named Nathan Cooper for most of my time there, who was a dog handler at the time. He's a really good dude, still trains dogs to this day, does a lot of detection stuff up in Darwin. Um, and I got to work with him and his Kelpie, actually, um, as part of our search team for a bit. I got to I actually got to work with all of them there, but he was the one I spent the most time with um, and learned a lot from. And uh the first dog I actually got to work like he let me muck around with his dog much like you do with your dogs <laughs> yeah. um, he let me work his dog um onto a hide and that was that was it i was like i was
0: loving it i was like this is exactly what i want to do So onto a hide what's ah uh, like, so it's not like a cattle hide or no no or like so
2: a hide um
0: what uh, with any of the
2: explosive stuff we'll lay a, we call it a hide where we put our target like our training odor. Depending what it is, we'll go set it up and then um, just create a search for the dog. So this one was an area search. So we just put, um can't remember what the odor was. And it was an actual explosive odor. Put it out, um, came back a couple of hours later and just worked the dog through an area onto the, um, onto the odor. Um, just use it as continuation training. Um, like Overseas, it's a bit harder to get the training in. Um, they're doing a lot of operational stuff, but if they don't get any fines, we still want to um finds being like a, a operational like find um we still got to maintain some of these odors and the behaviors so we just put stuff out for them to find
0: yeah yeah give him a win yeah exactly yeah. yeah and you mentioned nathan's dog was a kelpie yeah so what other dogs what was the mix-up in the or do you remember what the mix-up yeah in the so area? most
2: of them we had two labradors one was a kelpie and we had a dog named scuba who was like some Ridgeback random great dane sort of mix he was this big red dog um, definitely not the type of dog we'd normally look at but back then we had a lot of bits as anyway a lot of different dogs um, the recruitment and the um, or the recruitment for the the stream back then like the explosive detection dog stream wasn't as well funded as it is today they were getting a lot of dogs just from pounds or homes they would go to a pound and bounce a ball any dog that chased it they'd bring him in and, and give him a run and trial them um, it's a lot better now but um I had a lot of good a lot of good dogs come out of pounds that were just mixes like staffy crosses and yeah, sounds yeah. like a ridgeback cross sort of be, thing being dog
0: races, that like kelpie must have been tired getting mm. all the work yeah yeah <laughs> yeah, to yeah, get yeah the yeah. Kelpie again uh, she, was, she was good yeah you'd <laughs> have loved that she was like all black 20 years
2: yeah no she was great nice small dog too because we got to carry him like part of the training is you got to be able to like, carry him
0: around and do stuff with him so you don't want a big heavy dog you have to carry around Yeah. <laughs> so you're enlisted for four years up to that point yeah so and, and then so you know i've got the bug now i want to i want to do this yeah how how does that happen
2: so um after that i actually i my ojts was on that deployment um so that deployment came up around the four-year mark after i'd um, gotten to darwin and um i was just so annoying that they were like fine you can come help us out <laughs> yeah. while we're overseas so Um, when I wasn't doing my search team stuff or out doing my normal role, when everyone else was like having a day off, I'd be down at the kennels, like picking up dog shit and cleaning kennels and just like trying to learn from them. But I didn't mind. It It was good. That was probably one of the best parts of that whole deployment was getting that experience. And it was unlike anyone else's OJTs because normally they're all back in Australia and you don't get that, like, um, that exposure, I guess, that the dogs get over there and that the training is very different over there anyway. Um, but yeah, so I'd, I'd done my OJTs on that deployment in 2010. It went from 2010 into 2011. Um, that was a nine month deployment. Came back, spent the rest of the year um, in the unit back at the dog kennel. So I continued OJTs there. And then in 2012, posted to Sydney to start my basic dog handlers course. Um, back then it went for a year. So it was a year of long term schooling. The course was about six months and you spent the rest of the year just doing like other training. Um, but the, I was posting back to Darwin after that and Darwin was due to deploy again to Afghanistan in 2013. So the second half of that year, we basically just finished a, a basic dog handler course, which is essentially an air scenting dog by the end of that course. Yeah. Um, and then at the end of that, we had six months because we were on the hook to deploy again to get those dogs into buried hide, um, like searching, which is another beast all on its own. It's um, very different to air scenting. It's like It can be quite difficult, but... Um, the myself and the other handler that were going back, Rob, were um, keyhole to go on that deployment with our sergeant. Um, so we spent a lot of time just training that for the next half of the year, basically, on our own, because the staff were busy doing other stuff because they weren't there to. Um, well, it wasn't sort of set up to be able to train buried hides at the school. Um, they
0: certainly didn't have the facilities or the staff. So we kind of just. And it's not like kicking a holly with your boot. And no, like it's definitely not. Yeah. A, a mine and the thorn kicking dust over it right no there's, there's a lot that goes
2: into it like um we uh, a lot of the like a lot of the um issues you get with like buried hide training and stuff like that is a lot of the disturbance that you leave after digging a hole in the ground or placing something in the ground we don't want to use that as a way to cue the dogs that there's something there to investigate we want them purely working for the odor that they're looking for so are not looking for the, the the dirt just kicked up we yeah not to looking to, for any disturbance for the in the ground owner. they're looking for the odor yeah because yeah. Um, well, operationally, there can be some stuff that they, that might cue them onto a hide if there's disturbance, we really want to make sure that they're, they're working to an odor and not being cued by anything. So a lot of the hides we can have down for like half a year, we'll bury them, like grid them and stuff like that, um, and search the dogs on them months later, up to about six
0: plus months. So you're forgetting them and go, oh, thanks dog, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I forgot where I put that well, one. Legitimately the dogs <laughs> have saved their asses a couple of
2: times. <laughs> <laughs> We're
0: like I swear it was here and the dog's like six
2: metres like, way. Oh. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um yeah, there's always that one dog in the team. Like if someone like puts an odor out and they forget where it was, they just get that one dog out and go find it so you
0: can yeah. recover all your explosions. The, the old reliable one. Yeah, there. old yeah. reliable,
2: yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: so had you had any experience with dogs before then?
2: Nothing substantial. Um I think the closest thing I had to a dog growing up was a goat. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, I, had pet, I had a pet goat for a couple of years out in Rydal where I spent a couple, a couple of couple years growing up in Rydal I had a goat. Um we had, we did have a couple of dogs. Like my mum had a, a Roddy when we moved to Sydney, after we moved to Sydney. Um, but nothing, yeah, nothing substantial. Yet. Yeah.
0: Mostly it was like cats. My sister had a couple of horses out at Ridle and stuff, but yeah. Yeah. So when you start doing this course and you start playing with different little dogs, are you playing with different dogs or you allocated a dog?
2: Um,
0: you get allocated a dog, um, but there's, there's plenty of them there.
2: Like you, you'll, you'll get allocated a dog that you'll go through the course with and you have to pass the course with that dog. So, um you and the dog are both being assessed. So if, yeah. if I miss something um, and it's like a safety breach or something like that, but the dog still finds the, the hide, it's still a fail for the team and vice versa. So you both have to be doing your jobs. Um, yeah, but you get allocated the, the individual dog. You work with that dog throughout the course. You pass with, with that dog and then you take that dog with you to your unit. So you, mm-hmm. you stay together. Yeah, Um. you will randomly like if you're at a unit, you'll have, you might have like six or seven handlers there and some are away. You might work their dogs just to keep them like maintained on odors and some other um skill sets but operationally you only get qualified or certified with your dog um yeah. unless it's like really dire circumstances where you just have to grab a dog to use it but um yeah for operational purposes you get assigned a dog and you qualify with that dog to be able to deploy and work with it
1: so did you have the one dog the whole time
2: yes yeah, so i had a labrador named bruce he was a black labrador he's a the big fella, and he was an absolute pain in the ass. He <laughs> was, yeah, I, like, constantly losing my voice, yelling at He just completely paid me off for, like, the first five months of that course. And then he finally come good, like, the week before our assessments. Um, on our root search assessment, like, two weeks in, got bitten by a brown snake and died. Oh, oh Out no. on the range, yeah. So he he got hammered by the biggest brown snake I've ever seen. He, uh, he ran off into the bush, and I thought he was, like, looking for water because I could hear this, what I thought, was splashing. I waited away waited and I was like, nah, all right, I'm going to go get him walked in. And he's got this brown snake in his mouth and it's oh. just flapping around, striking him. And he's just sitting there with the dumb Labrador, like happy as Larry. Just he tailing, tail wagging. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's like, look what I found. And I was just like, oh my God. And then he let it go and it slithered off. And I put him back out of the road. Um, and I was like freaking out. I was like, like sitting there. I was like, what the fuck do I do? And I looked at my instructor and he's like, did he get hit? And I was like, I think so. Like,
0: yeah. I'm pretty
2: sure I saw it. Like, I, I was like, I'm like adrenaline going. I was like, I can't remember. Like, I'm pretty sure. And he's like, well, well, just see what happens. And he's like, got me to cast the dog on. I go, oh. told him to get on. He walked think. on three steps and his back legs gave out and then he yeah. collapsed. And I was like, F-. so we grabbed him, threw him in the ute. And I don't think, like, the, the speed limit on the range is 40 k's an hour. It's all dirt roads. I think we were, like, 130 like mm. the whole way. Um, and then there was a bit of a debacle there. Um, the vet that the school would use um, was in Liverpool. So we drove there, got there, um, walked in the back door and they're like, we don't have any, any morning. And we're like. Shit. All right. So yeah. then we we're like, what's the next closest hospital? And they were like, um our duty person was like, go to ARH in Homebush. And yeah. we we're like, it was like four o'clock in the afternoon on the M5, bumper to bumper. We got there and we're like, we're not going to make it to Homebush anytime soon. Like it was a car park. So I knew there was a vet down in Ingleburn and I was like, fuck it, we'll just go to Ingleburn. So we just illegal U turn up over the M5, yeah. sped all the way back to Ingleburn. But Tom, from when he got bitten so when we got to the vet it was an hour and he was still alive, but he lost wow. like control of his like bowels yeah. and all that sort of stuff. And he wasn't walking, got him to the vet. Um, They tried to give him, I think it was like four different shots of adrenaline. So they gave him IV. They gave him one. I think it was three. So IV and that didn't work. So they gave him one straight in the stomach. That didn't work. And they just one straight in the heart. And then he died. And I was just like. Fuck. Wow, <laughs> that was my first like first working dog um in the military and i was shattered because he'd yeah. just come good for me too and i was like struggled so hard with him and then i thought i was gonna get in trouble because like i would killed a dog and then um we went back um the course manager was like he was pretty good about it like i didn't get in any trouble they were like look shit happens it actually if anything they got a bit of an ass kicking for their procedures like having an emergency vet that didn't have any venine or wasn't a twenty four hour yeah. operation yeah. Here. so they changed all that after that um, and then I got given the best dog I've ever had. He was, um, he was a, he was, he was an English Springer Spaniel named Joe, and he would just come back. One of the instructors, actually the instructor I was with on that day used to be his handler. So he, um, was predominantly spent a lot of his time with the uh, special forces groups in Afghanistan. He'd done like four or five deployments, this dog before, oh, wow. between two different handlers. He just kept going back and back and he was a weapon typical Springer like he was just like 100% or nothing um, and he was so different to the dog I had that like I had I think I had two or three weeks to to get him up to scratch to like to train with him before I had to do my assessment Build, a, build a report, yeah build a so I had like five months with this other dog and I got like three weeks with this <laughs> yeah. completely different dog that was just like balls to the wall like 100% in anything he did but he was actually such a good dog. Like he'd be sprinting down the road and all of a sudden he'd just put on the anchors and there'd be like this four or five meter long skid mark where he'd catch Odo and then just work back into it. And you're like, oh, How yeah. does he, like no way he's catching this. Mm. And he'd do it every time. He was um he was a wicked dog. His name was Joe. Um and that's where I got my love for Springer Spaniels from. That's why I have one at home now. Good old Tonk. Yeah, and I've had a couple of springers actually throughout my career. I've trained a couple and I've had to handle a couple too.
1: Yeah, right.
2: Yeah. But um, yeah, that was my my first 12 months as a dog handler.
1: <laughs> <laughs> what a great dog though to um to learn from as yeah
2: well. no it was um like I, I learned a lot from from both because they're both very yeah. hard dogs to work just for different reasons well, one had one, a lot of brains
0: one was one
2: was hard told. to motivate and the other one was like <laughs> hard to slow down right yeah. but i learned <laughs> so much about like two different types of dogs from both of them like you learn a lot more from the dogs that are harder to train than the ones that are easy and yeah it was it was a bit of a roller coaster for 12 months even like i had joe for years actually my first employment um as a dog handler i took joe with me um, back to afghanistan um so it was like his fifth or sixth time over there like yeah mm-hmm. he'd done he'd done some time over there um yeah so that was great and there was a lot of people that were over there that like knew him like you'd be walking around around and like dudes from like because i wasn't in special forces at that point and there'd be dudes walking around the camp they're like is that joe and you're like
3: yeah yeah <laughs> like
2: holy shit. like they, they they know that dog like they're like another, another part of their family and you know he's like my dog and i'm like yeah, get away. Yeah. <laughs> so,
0: what, what did an average day look like for yourself and Joe when you're over in Afghanistan?
2: Um, well, there was no real average day. Like, if you, you you'd have forecasted when majority of the time you'd have like forecast when you're doing patrols or if you're doing like operations or stuff like that. Um, so, if you if you weren't, it was a day off. It was kind of like you know pick your own pick your own adventure. There's not a whole lot to do out there, so it be a lot of gym um, and then some training. Like, so, like, like, everything we've seen on Forrest Gump, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We actually did have a table <laughs> tennis table in our patrol base. In our camp. We, like, nearly every one of them had a table tennis table. <laughs> you get really good at table tennis. <laughs> yeah, there's a, lot, there's a lot of, like, camp maintenance stuff that had to be done and, like, you're always prepping stuff and you always had to do pickets and stuff like that. Um, You'd be doing, like, shit, like, you know, cleaning a lot of stuff because like you don't have cleaners you might you might be lucky enough to have a cook otherwise it'd be like you prep around lunches and breakfast and stuff mm-hmm. um but a lot of it was like if you didn't need to be doing anything don't be doing anything yeah. but with a dog energy. like yeah but like once you got a dog it's like you you're always like in before other people and the last like first one in last one out because you gotta get all you sort all your dog kennels out like clean them get your dog sorted before you can do anything else for the day and then you've got to organize your training it's there was, a, there was a period where it was like hard to to get time to do training for your dogs because like, yeah, you always know, this question. Yeah, they look at you like you're another body and it's like, yeah, if you get, you've got like another another entity that yeah. you're responsible for and like if it's not working, who's going who's gonna to be the first person they're going to blame? Like yeah, if you're training, if your dog misses a, misses a hide or something like that or misses a, an IED and Pretty someone good. goes up, like you're like, well, look at my training notes. Like when did I get to train this thing? It's not a robot. Like you can't just turn it on and it works optimally every time.
1: So did you have to record every time you trained the dog on paper
2: as yeah. well? So you'd record um, the type of training you did. You'd record like how long you trained for, yeah. the odours that you hit or whether they missed the odours or whether they, you know, if they struggled. Wow. Um, you'd record as much detail as you could, not not to save your ass, even though it did sometimes, but more just for yourself too because like um, you want to, like if, if my dog hits a certain odour, I want to track that down so that I know I need to work on that again. Yeah. Because like especially if it's a theatre-specific odour, like something that they use a lot in that theatre, you don't want your dog missing it, you know what I mean? Yeah. So you want to make sure your dog's running hot on all the odours that are going to be potential threats. Common
0: things. Yeah.
2: Um, and, yeah, you just track it so that if your dog does miss something one day and someone goes, like, why'd your dog miss that? You can be like, well, firstly, it's a dog. It's not fucking yeah. it's not perfect. Here's my training notes. It's hit it, like, six times in the last four days. Like, yeah. what do you want? And, like, there's a lot, especially when you're talking, like, subsurface hides, it's, it's a different beast, like I said, to – to air scenting stuff. Um there's a lot of factors. Even with air scenting, there's a lot of factors that come in. But with the subsurface, it's it's a lot harder because like you're waiting for all these odors to to come out of the ground and you don't know what the what the soil content's like, what the moisture content's like, like if it's rained recently, like what the vapor pressure is of the odor that's actually under there anyway. So um there's some interesting stuff. Like we we had a um a training ground for buried hides. Like I was saying we'd leave them down and they are all different sorts of surfaces and stuff like that. And there were some that like, we'd leave down for ages and they would be big hides, like you know, nearly a kilo worth of explosives and the dogs just wouldn't hit them ever. Like no dog. Even old Faithful, you'd send them out there, just like couldn't get anything out of it because the soil, I think one of the ones was like just oh, like just encased it. Yeah. Like, just, and it was just it just held onto the on well, am me, it just held onto those those um, like particles that the dog would, you know, um, hit on. Oh and, safe. Yeah. It was it was, it was fascinating. And the hardest one to hit on was like um mulch. Like, we had this whole, like, yeah, mine right. lane of mulch and we had, like, four or five hides out in it and we couldn't get many dogs to hit so on it. Could, there'd be a lot of other
0: odors coming out of that as well, right? And well, like yeah, the but they're all the same. Heaps on the inside as well. I was well. going to
2: say,
1: weeds can't go through mulch normally. So yeah, that was guess, the hardest one.
0: Yeah. We'd have We'd have, like nearly
2: hard as concrete like yeah. dirt and the dogs and still get stuff out of that and then the mulch one was just like
0: phenomenal yeah, well. so there's something to be careful because that can be um combustible inside as well like you go to green waste um like tips and whatnot they're always turning it over because if it doesn't they don't turn it over it actually goes up yeah yeah right yeah actually no, i had a never of... experienced that but, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but i've, seen, I've seen, <laughs> seen that a few times in the game. actually you mentioned the kennels a couple of times like when you were deployed what were yeah. the kind of kennel setups
2: um yeah so they
0: vary like in the in the
2: main bases they could be quite um quite nice they were always just built like when we got there they like, were never anything um special at least not at ours like we have the the tradies and stuff build us like a their own little yard yeah. um the one at taran the main base in um in afghan was pretty good we had um someone i don't know how they managed to do it but they managed to convince someone to put a pool like a full above ground pool in the kennels for wow. the hydrotherapy for the dogs so. yeah that was wicked
0: yeah. <laughs> uh, off-ground kennels were ke- with dogs on the deck it, or? those
2: ones were actually like built like cinder block built like plastered they were like an old refurbished building so like yeah, the kennel right. was actually like an old room it had like metal door and they just built some fences off that door and made like a, a day run right yeah. but like it depends where you were like there were um there were some places where it was like you just you know you find a bit of hesco which is like the the main thing they used for fortification in walls. Yeah. It was like this weird mesh thing with a fabric that you'd fill with soil. So it had really good, like, um, like when you shot it with rounds, like it wouldn't penetrate very far. And it was, like, it was really easy, like, it rapid to put up. Yeah, it was rapid rapid to deploy, and it was, like, good protection. So they put those around, and you just use those and make a makeshift kennel, find some, like, um, cycling fence somewhere, like any wood you could scrounge. One of the ones in TK on um, my second trip was um we had no grass so the dogs were just literally their, their day run was like big rocks like big pebbles that's all we could get because yeah, right. they were like limited for space right and you yeah. needed to make it secure because we weren't the only people on that base um so yeah you just do what you could there were some that were really nice and some that were literally like some days if you're out on patrol like on a vehicle you wouldn't even have a kennel. you would just sleep with your dog and your swag yeah yeah and they'd just sit in the car during the day if it wasn't working yeah yeah that was, a, that was a lot better because everyone got to pat them and yeah, yeah they and were the, involved. Yeah. yeah.
1: And were the other soldiers like do I call them soldiers? Yeah,
2: yeah. yeah.
1: yeah. Um, were they like welcoming and interactive to the dogs? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. yeah,
2: like they're they're like an asset, right? So, like, we don't want to treat them like they're a pet or a mascot, yeah. but at the same time
1: like the handler like yeah.
2: me as a handler i never stopped anyone patting my dog as long as they asked mm-hmm. if he wasn't working if he was working i didn't want anyone interacting with him because yep. i didn't want him to lose focus and he never did like he was like tonka you see him like you walk up and say hello and he just goes he, yeah. he doesn't care about people but like if they're working we don't want him distracted but when they're not working like i'd let anyone pat him because like yep. i know especially overseas it's like you know people are just missing a bit of home yeah so if they see a dog they're just they can't really help themselves and you're like fuck it, like let him pat the dog Like, it'll make their day. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, my dog's social and like give him something to do. So, yeah. It was funny. We used to take him into the gym because, like, we were limited for space and, like, you want to run him out on the hard ground, like, because their paws would get, like, Pretty ripped up when they're working out there. you just have to take care of their paws a fair bit. So to exercise, and we'd put them in the gym on the treadmills and just yeah. like, tie them up on the treadmill, nice and slow. And uh, people would just walk past taking photos, and like we yeah. were just sitting there, like the dogs running. I'm just sitting there, like <laughs> <laughs> and we run next to them and stuff. But I, um, one of them, I had uh, two dogs on the treadmills either side of me. I was running in the middle. Um, my mate was on uh, his leave period. But um yeah, it just like you got to let people like interact with them it's good for them and it's good for the people too as long as it's not interfering with their work how were you treating their cause like them I'm, like, I'm assuming it's pretty limited sometimes yeah, yeah. like it, we try and do a lot of like preemptive stuff like toughening them up before leaving um like as long as they're like they get really dry and like large cracks and we have like you know the yeah. booties like the yeah. yeah we'd use the booties um if they were getting really bad but it was just a matter of making sure they weren't too dry um but make sure they weren't so soft that they you know tear up because the the ground over there is pretty harsh it's just pretty much rocks and dirt and then if you're in the green zone you're still walking on dirt and rocks so yeah um yeah it's just a really dry arid place over there at least yeah
0: and and these these dogs they're working their guts out they're finding your target odors Hmm. what what, i'm assuming you're not walking around with 14 kilos of chicken in your pocket or no sausages no sausage every time (laughs) they do something good
2: all of the all the dogs we we use, we, we purposely select because they've got a high play drive for, for a toy of some sort. And most of the time it's been a tennis ball or a ball. Um, and that's the number one criteria for us in in all of the dogs that they would recruit, or say us, but them, that um, they would recruit because, like, we can use that to, 16 to motivate. 16 years, mate, you can say us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we can use that to, to motivate them to, to, you know, to work for hours on end in really shitty conditions in really shitty places, doing a really shitty job like their job they're doing a really good job but it's hard work you know what i mean like they yeah. could be working for ages um yeah and they do it all for a tennis ball it just crazy you, isn't it yeah sorry like, like i remember some of my um other dog trainer friends have seen some of my dogs and they're like oh my god your dogs are neurotic and we're like yep yeah, that's how we need them to be like they're not going to work and do what we ask them to do if they're not that driven for something if they're yeah. you know, if they, could have a day where they're like, I could care less. It's like, that's not the dog for us. Well, oh, they're not going to. We can't yeah. afford to have a dog. That's like, I don't want to work today True. unless it's like, you know, injured or sick. If it's just doesn't want to do it, it's, like, it's, it's not going to make the cut because we need it
0: to work every time we need it to work. Right. So you have like spare dogs as well. Like if your dog get, did you get injured, like if you went over with, I think there were three of us you, you mentioned in your.
2: So that your second day? deployment, um, this, I think this will answer your question. There was three of us pen, pen to go over and then they cut numbers and I got, um, I got removed. But then a month after they got into country, one of the dogs wasn't um, meeting its standards. So you give them a month to acclimatise and do all their training and hear all the odours that are in theatre, and then they get assessed, just like we were talking about here yeah. in and Australia. So in in theatre, like where you deployed? Over, yeah, overseas, yeah. where you deployed. Um, so the one of the dogs over there wasn't passing. So then they um, called back to Australia and told me that I was heading over. So I headed over a month after them um got over there and yeah did my acclimatization with um my dog and then yeah did my assessment and then we were off to go so there was just two two diggers running the show because it was our sergeant's dog that um that didn't uh certify yeah so then um he stuck around for a little bit and then flew back home and it was just me and my mate rob just two dogs two just, yeah two diggers like in charge of it so yeah. rob actually did really well because he was there for the month beforehand he actually got accommodation for that trip for his work because he stepped up and did the sergeant's role um for that month um while i was doing all my um uh, climatization and night like, training for the dog but yeah um that deployment i think lasted like five or six months yeah yeah well yeah, yeah. But, um yeah that was a it was an interesting one. Yeah. There was a lot less going on, like um, in that deployment, because they were that was like one of the last, I think that was the last deployment that they deployed a dog on because Australia was pulling me out of Afghan. Um, shortly after that, so mean I think me and Rob were outside of SAT, uh, the Special Forces. The last two regular Army dog handlers there, um, yeah. I think ever. Like yeah, right up until that point. Like yeah, for at least yeah. for um, o- Operation Slipper, which was the operation name for yeah, that okay. period. Yeah.
0: So then you you come back. If your dog yeah it's not enough to be to be away so that's what, what happened you come back do some more training what, what happens there yeah so um we came back have like a bit of time off um so after that
2: trip i got back in 20 uh towards the end of 2013 um did another year up in darwin um and then i applied to um join a unit in sydney called the special operations engineer regiment um just basically just. Um, the special forces version of the rural Australian engineers. So it's all engineers that um, go through a selection process and like a reinforcement cycle to support the, um, the other uh, special forces units within Australia. Um, So I applied for that in 2014, did a year of training um, and uh, passed all the, the, like the pre-training you got to do like a couple of um, fitness exams and some aptitude testing as well. And some more psych exams um, and then that just gets you down to Sydney to do your selection and um your reinforcement cycle where you do a year worth of extra training. Um they'd cover like all your weapons, all your insertion, like um parachuting and like fast roping, abseiling, sailing, all that sort of stuff. So that's um, two
1: years before you even get out on the job.
2: Yeah, that's just yeah, right. you do like if you like you include a bit of training at the start, so it's like maybe a year and a half 'cause you gotta like yep. it's the the fitness test for that is um it's pretty it was pretty hard. Um they, they still have it around now, um, but you've got to prepare for that just to get, like, deemed suitable to be able to go down and then start a year worth of training where yeah. like you constantly, it's like a year of just assessment, 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 assessment. You can just roll from one course to the next, and if you miss one of them, um, unless it's something that you can, like, quickly pick up, you've got
0: to wait like a whole nother year. Wow. And start for the whole process. It's always yeah. analytical. Yeah. Yeah. On the computer at there for a couple of hours today. So yeah. you get Your training forms. So. That's just my OCD mate. <laughs> oh, I love it mate. That's
2: what I can <laughs> say. It served good. me well though. Um, but yeah, and that's like, I, I enjoyed that. That was, a, that was a hard year though. Like you're doing a lot of, a lot of courses, a lot of time away from work. It's a lot of hours. Um, and yeah, a lot of um, potential for injuries and stuff. Like there's, especially on like some of the insertion methods when you do your, your parachuting because it's all static line. Um, where your shoot opens as you jump out of the plane, you don't open it yourself. And they're designed to let you fall a bit quicker so you don't get <laughs> shot out of the sky. Um, you hit the ground pretty hard and there's a lot of like broken legs and like shattered bones from people that do that. They got it, they got like a little catchphrase where it's just accept the best possible landing. Wow. <laughs> so if, shit, if shit's gone bad, they're like accept the best possible landing, and you're like, what does that mean? Like, yeah. <laughs> look, for, look for a softest tree. <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah, a couple of people get, like, normally there's always a couple of broken legs or some injuries that come out of that, which is why they push it right towards the end. So if someone does get injured, they've got a heap of time to recover. Yeah. And then end of the next year, hopefully, attempt it again and not get broken. So
0: what's Joey doing in this?
2: Joe, um, yeah,
0: so um,
2: he would, like, essentially while I'm doing all that is what I was talking about before, where, like, the handlers are always doing extra work, so... When we post to that unit, you're not posting there as a dog handler, you're posting there as a special forces engineer who just happens to be a dog handler. So, you mm-hmm. do all of the training that all the other engineers do, and then you've got to go take care of your dog or come in and sort your dog out in the morning, do all the training, and then take care of your dog in the afternoon. Maintain the training of that dog in your own hours. So, we got a bit of a holiday from all yeah. these trips, right? Well, yeah, but um, yeah, that was it was like, it was. It was good. It was hard just because you're doing so many hours. Like you you spend all day training on something you've got no idea about and then you've got to go back and like work a dog, take care of it, maintain its skills. Because once that training finishes at the end of the year, you've then got like a couple of weeks. I think it's like six weeks to do your um, re-team training or your training with that dog before you get certified. So back to be like a qualified qualified to work that dog operationally. So he spends like a year getting some training and then I've got six weeks to try and recoup that and like get him back up to standard. So you're saying
1: you were doing – once you got put through your engineering thing, you were doing that as well as your dog handling in that role.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I so, didn't pick
1: up on that when you first started. Yeah, yeah so you'd right. be,
2: you, you do the, the whole year of training is to get you into a, a position like qualified where you can do the role of a special operations engineer, Yeah, which is um, like mobility support um, and stuff like that. And then you're also a dog handler. Yeah, so right. you might have your dog attached to your hip searching for stuff or you could be searching your dog, bring him back and then go do something else.
3: Yeah, right so then. it's, it's yeah. essentially
2: just like another, another feather in your in hat, yeah. Yeah. Um, which became really important too because a lot of the time when they're overseas, if they were doing stuff that had limited space for, for people, they'd yeah. take the people, the, the most essential people, yeah. which would normally be an EOD operator who's like in charge of, you know, once you find an IED, they're the ones who dismantle it or destroy it or deal with it, right? And
1: that's what you were training for?
2: No, no, no. Because so that's, that's, that's what that's, I was finding. So yeah, I that's was what you were finding. Yeah, yeah. So mm-hmm. IEDs is what we would be finding, or caches and stuff. So like, yeah, like improvised explosive devices. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, um, I'm not. That's that. right. So we'd we'd be our role as a as a searcher or a high researcher um, as an engineer or, or a special operations engineer is to provide mobility support. Yeah. So it's basically getting people from A to B. Oh, um, so okay. Convoys, with with convoys our, Yeah. The, with out any casualties, like for like, for yeah. like explosions or anything like that, explosives or IDs. So we have been doing a lot of searching with metal detectors and stuff like that or, you know, just using your eyes. Your eyes were the number one tool for a lot of it and a lot of people think it might be the metal detector, but it's like you're looking for patterns or lack of patterns or, you know, they said the presence of the abnormal, the absence of the normal is what you'd be looking for. Yeah. Um, if you were channeled in a certain way, which, you know, a lot of people wouldn't realise or stuff like that. So you're constantly like it's like – and the, the problem with that is, like, you're so focused on looking at all these different things for, the, like, this invisible threat. You're not looking for – your eyes are down on the ground, right? You're not up looking about. So we need people to provide us security yeah. while we're searching, you know what I mean? Because I can't be looking up here for people yeah. potentially trying to shoot me or yeah. stuff like that while my eyes are on the ground yeah. looking for things that might blow me up. That's How many hours a day? Um, Something like that be. Uh, again, it depends. Like, um, depends on the operations and what you got going on. Could only be a couple of hours. I think the biggest day I, I remember having um, was on my first trip as a, as a searcher, not as a dog handler. Um, we had we had to go somewhere to, to try and catch someone who might have been in this building. Um, and we left really, it was like two or three in the morning. It was like pitch black. So we patrolled under and, no, night vision goggles. I think it was like a 30K patrol through like rivers. Like By the time we got there, it was a little freezing, like up to your waist down, it was just wet. And um, we got to the compound that we needed to to wait for we we're waiting for sunrise and sunrise was like three hours away so we did um we basically just slept in the field it's like as in a picket so you'd have like a cordon around this compound it was a pretty big cordon but i remember i was with two of my two other engineers that i was with so two of us would be laying in this dirt field asleep with the one in the middle awake so he was the warmest yeah. and then um when it was his turn to sleep he'd move and the next person to roll in and then sit up and we did that for like a couple of hours till sunrise and we hit the building um the dude was there it was all fine and then patrolled back 30ks and then back into the compound sent him off and they released him later that day
0: and the reason i ask is like things about about like you're searching right? day, and, oh yeah wow yeah and like using your eyes like a lot like Man, some people can't even sit behind a computer for five, six hours a it's, day, right? They're just yeah. searching, using well, right? like your iPhone, burning your brain. Yeah. You're burning your mental stimulation, you're... right? Like, how mm.
2: tired are you getting? Yeah, right? And and right? Mentally, it fatigues you, but you're also carrying all the same weight as everyone else. You've got your body armor, all your weapons, all your water, backpack. Like we'd be carrying water for the dogs if you're doing stuff with them. Yeah. So I think back so, then...
1: I'm just looking at the picture here and I'm, all the gear on you. Well,
2: that's light. That's, that's, yeah. I don't that's even really have a backpack on there. Yeah, yeah. right. Um, that's probably going to play one of those table tennis <laughs> tournaments. <laughs> right. To put it into perspective, back back then I was about 80 kilos, like just clean yep. skin. And I remember weighing myself one day, like fully rigged up, and I was like nearly 120 kilos. Wow. Yeah, so you're carrying a lot of weight. Yeah. Um, And like a lot of it you can't get rid of. Like you'll use your water and some of your food, but... You can't just drop your rounds, or you can't just <laughs> drop, you know, your first aid yeah. kit or anything. So you're carrying a lot of it with you, Um and yeah, it was. But like, you you do get used to it, and you do a lot of training before you leave. But um, one of the biggest things about that place is the altitude. So they're like three thousand meters above sea level, so you can do all the training you want in Australia. You get there and you're fucked just walking down the yeah, street. Right. Yeah,
3: right. Yeah, like Takes
2: you, That's why you, you got so long to acclimatise when you get there because, like, and same with the, dog. and the dogs. Yeah, too, right? the dogs yeah. get a month before you even look at assessing them because, like, it's just they're not going to work. They're not going to be if, effective If a dog doesn't make the cut, handle it back with the dog. They can oh. do. It's 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 um kind of up to the people on the ground. So, like for example, when I got brought over um the person i was replacing could have taken my dog like he could have just said i'm taking that dog and i'll re- re-team with it but um he didn't and just said like i'd been working with that dog for quite a while at that stage about like nearly a year um and did a lot of training with him like i said for that second half of that year um in burieds and he was like i don't think i'd be able to work it effectively um maybe towards the end of the trip but it's not going to help him you know after yeah. six weeks when he's got to be on point so he was like like you can you bring the dog over, you work the yeah. dog, and he'll leave. So he, st- he stayed for
0: my month of acclimatization to lay hides and assess, and then went home. What about vice versa? What if the dog makes the acclimatization, but the soldier doesn't?
2: Um They'd probably—I don't think I've ever seen that—but they'd probably just send the, the team home because you've always got like an op reserve team. Like yeah, that's what yeah. I was—the role I was filling at home. Yeah. um They've always got people like even at the school, they've got dogs that are certified, that are fully qualified. Um, in case something happens, they can like sup- like supplement something in case a dog dog dies or the dog isn't making the cut or something like that. Um, that rarely happens. They normally just replace the whole team because like the re-team and the bond you build with the dog is quite important, yeah. especially when you're working. Like some of these dogs, they're all off leads. Everything they do, you'll be working like hundreds of metres away and like you've got to just understand how your dog works and, you know, rely on it to, to be doing its job. Um, so yeah, normally they'll just pick a team that has worked together and has a bond and it's certified rather than trying to throw one together last minute it has happened before
0: mm. but i think it's like uh, it's so, extremist. yeah absolutely and and you talked about dogs working out like a couple hundred meters mm. so obviously a good recall on your dog but like you know we get a work stock right and oh, well, we're like in the work stock community not me myself not with my little hobby farm here right <laughs> but know. um like dogs got a good recall or stop you could probably take it to work having some sides on it Yeah probably you know going to get a bit more done we'll touch on that a bit yeah a bit later with the stock dog stuff what what kind of control do you need on your dog to be able to take it out there to work so we need a recall like a recall is like our um like most
2: i'd say like crucial behavior right because once our dog finds odor like essentially if they find something and we're operational our best bet is that they're sitting this essentially standing or sitting right over a live id that that could you know depending how it's set to, to function could go at any minute and i need to be able to call my dog off that but like the way we work with our dogs is um they always get paid for odor like because that way we we know they're going to be obedient to it like if i'm trying so, to so everyone out there's like paid rewarded rewarded for odor yeah. yeah we always we always reward them for, for the being for being on odor um so we want them to essentially like if, if i'm because i don't I, I don't know where it is right if my dog's like um, in a scent cone and working and i don't pick up on that and i'm trying to get him to go the opposite direction i want him to ignore me to, to be obedient to that order i want him to go in and find that if he thinks he's on turns if it turns out he's not then i want him to listen to me intelligence intelligent disobedience yeah right? exactly and so,
1: it's going to sound silly they sit or something when they get depends the on
2: the, we we ask for a passive response so it's either a sit or a down. Yeah. Um, yeah. Passive response. So they're not moving. They're just sitting there staring. Yeah. We yeah. like them to get to as close as possible to the, to the source. You yeah. don't want them barking because you don't want to be alerted. We don't yeah. want them barking. Regular over here, right? Yeah. yeah. If you're searching at night and we don't want them active due to the nature of what they're looking for. So active digging. Yeah. Digging yeah. or like, you know, running around or whatever. We just want them to get as close to the source and odor as possible yeah. and sit or drop and just stare at it. Yeah. Cause like it's, it's easy if you're on a road, ro- a sorry, a road or a route where your dog's just looking at a bit of ground, you can be like, oh, cool, it's there. But if you're like a warehouse and there's like a stack of shelves and your dog's sitting five metres back and not right close to it, you're like, yeah. oh, I've got to search this entire wall. But if they're like that on a box with yeah. their nose on the side of the box, you're like mm-hmm. pretty certain it's that
0: box, right? So you <laughs> yeah. to start there and work out. Yeah. Um,
2: but, yeah, uh, yeah, we just get a passive response and then we have to be able to call them off that, which can be hard to do at first because they're like, no, I need to be here to get paid. I always get paid for being here or rewarded for being here. But um initially it's, it's a bit of a struggle to get them off that, but like as soon as they break, break that passive behavior, like we use markers and stuff, we can reward them and gradually build that into like a full recall and then reward them back here. Um, but we never we used to always reward on on source um with our training. So that would be the dogs on odor and we throw a ball in or drop the ball where the odor is, because it's in training, it's not a a live IED. And then more recently we've gone to like um Like off source, essentially, that's what we call anyway. Throw the ball the other way. Yeah, so I just just mark the dog. He comes back to me and gets a reward at me. Yeah, because that's more realistic of what we're going to do in an operational environment, right? I'm not going to throw a ball 100 meters down the road onto an IED. Yeah, I'm going to call him back and then reward him. And it's tricky in an operation environment because I don't know if my dog's on odor. Yeah, I I got no idea, but I'm going to reward him anyway because I have, you know, you would have faith in their training and believe in yeah. their training. And if it turns out that he wasn't, that's one withdrawal from hundreds and hundreds and hundreds or thousands of deposits of repetitions of, yeah. of good repetitions. um And then even if I didn't reward him then, and I was just like a bit of a pat, like, yeah, we'll move on. And it turns out there was something there. I'd just figure out what that odour was, like talk to someone, find out what it was, and then make sure I hit him on it later and reward him on it later just so there's that deposit's back in the bank yeah. and I yeah. haven't taken the withdrawal away
0: ever find something like that that you never come across often and then take that back and train on it later? Yeah. They, they would do that a lot.
2: Like um, a lot of the stuff that would be like homemade. So like a lot of the, in Australia, a lot of the, or everything we train on is like a military grade explosive. So it's made like to specification yeah. on the highest grade. So clean. Yeah, exactly. But everything over there, well not everything, but a lot of the stuff over there is homemade. <laughs> dirty. Yeah. So it's dirty. And there's a couple of studies um, that I saw where um, like if you only ever train your dog on that cleanest one, the detection threshold for, for dirty variants of that is going to be really low. But if yeah, you broaden their horizon and you know reward them across a the spectrum of clean or dirty, you've got a better chance of them indicating. Some dogs still will, depending on what their threshold is for, for that odor. But we always try to, when we can, train them on things that aren't like, you know, made in a lab that, are, that yeah. are homemade. So if you found, if we found stuff over there and a lot of our training um, odors over there was a conex just full of random shit like mines and RPGs and grenades that people had found that EOD had rendered safe for us to use. And we just go <laughs> hoping um, that they were. <laughs> yeah. We just go like lay some mines yeah. out and then search the dolls on them. Cause that's the real thing. It's just yeah. it might be minus a firing pin or, you know, a safety on it or something. Yeah. Cause that's the closest we can get to what's going to be out there. And yeah. we can't, can't get a lot of that here. You know, we won't be allowed to use a lot of that here because it's, Lot Of
0: work health and safety stuff here yeah, that yeah. doesn't apply over there, yeah,
1: yeah,
0: yeah. And your dog ever, um, find anything that you never trained on or that you never expected? There were not mine, there were some dogs that had, um, um well, it's actually a thing now,
2: but there were some dogs that would like indicate on like mobile phones and icons, which are like radios that, um, were notorious for like you know, um, the people we were you know working against over there using to communicate. And the dogs um, would just like pay a bit of interest. And like over there, like if a dog pays interest to in something, 90% of the time you're going to go, go have a look at that. Like, yeah. Because this dog's not going to pay interest for nothing. Yeah. But, like you get to know the dog. And if your dog pays more than what you'd think is just like a glance or, you know, a little bit of curiosity, you'd be like, go fucking move that rock. Go yeah. have a look under that rock. Like, right. Yeah. You'd go do it. Because yeah. like, well, it was still your job, right? Like, even as a dog handler, if my dog paid interest to in something and there was no other engineers that could go excavate it, I'd have to go do that. Yeah. As a dog handler, because you're still an engineer at a, as your yeah. base trade. Yeah. And like, um. You don't want to be that guy who's like, my dog sat on that. Now you go do it. like You know what I mean? Like, it's, Yeah. You want to help out because like there's a lot of like, – it's hard work and the boys are always like investigating. And as an engineer, like you were saying before, I think where we started was like it's mentally fatiguing but physically fatiguing, like the work because you're, you're doing all the same kilometres as everyone else. Like if you start getting shot at, you still got to run and do everything and fly Whoa. back. You've just got yeah. a dog attached to your hip that you've got to recall while this is happening and then clip it up and then move with this dog attached to your hip. So all of your movements and like – how are you going to, you know, get yourself to cover? You've got to consider that if your dog even comes back. There was there was one instance where a dog, they got into a contact and the dog ran off. So they got they
0: f- a bit of live fire.
2: Yeah, they got they got, they got got live fired and the dog ran off. They found the dog two years later. Some US um, Army people found, like, went into this village and saw this dog.
1: Oh, in wow. This, in this,
2: there's a book about it. Um, the, the handler was uh, David Simpson. He was actually... chief trainer on my basic dog handler course the dogs but yeah so the dog ran off and they lost it couldn't find it and then years later two years later some us guys were rolling through this village they saw this dog and they're like that doesn't look like a like a normal afghan hound they spoke to the the people like yeah we found it they took it back but they bought the dog off these these villages took it back and ended up reuniting it and came full all the way home and he got got the dog back yeah and he he kept it until it died wow wrote a book about it and everything that's a pretty cool story that is
1: an amazing story yeah
2: it was not two years that is later. That's so special. They like... said it was in a good paddock too. Like when they found it, it was still <laughs> healthy. Yeah. It was a Labrador, so it was eating
0: everything. Yeah, yeah. A lot, a lot of uh, Afghani uh, cuisine. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a crazy story. Um, yeah. And I think that's something like we talked about. Um, you working, your dog looking for explosives as you're going. But I think people like listening back won't actually think like, Wait a minute, you're actually getting shot at some of the times while this is happening, or All the possibility of it happening. Like, yeah,
2: and like. When I think about it, it's like um, a lot of people like would say to you, like, "Oh, like you know, we scared stuff." And I was like, "No, really." Because like in my head, when I think about it now, like, it was just a big game of hide and seek to me. Like, yeah. someone's trying to hide stuff, and I'm better at finding it than you are at hiding it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and that's yeah. how I looked at it. And like, you are trying to disturb you along the way. Yeah, and but like, yeah, and I'm like, over here. Look. That's one of the things, right? Like, um, they would never the the people like we were working against there like they're not going to pick a fight with like a a formed military if it's not in their advantage or if they're not trying to achieve something they're not just going to roll out one day and be like oh look there's some people there and start shooting they'll be doing it for a reason and a lot of the stuff like in my brain as an engineer i'm like if i'm getting shot at it's because they've decided to do it like it's optimal for them right now to engage us to make me do something so like, like I was saying before, like if like one of our drills, like you get shot at, you are constantly, whenever you're moving, you're like looking for cover. So if any, yeah. if a shot rings at any point, you're like, you know, there's this wall over here or there's this thing, cause you've just seen them. You're like, that'd be a good cover. That'd be a good cover. That'd be shit cover. And yeah. you're identifying these things as you're moving through an area with everything else that's going on. And I'm like in my brain and they're really smart. Like they would watch us for years because we were there for years and they understood how we operated and how we worked. I think there was one story where, um, we brought out this new fancy bit of equipment that would sit in front of the the cars. It was a mine roller, and we would roll it out in front of the cars. If there was any IEDs, that would hit it first. After the first day of using that, they just started pushing main charges a certain amount of meters back, which they measured from the, from front, the front of that to roller the to the being of the car. So you'd hit the switch, but the main charges behind Stuck under the, your car now. And it took yeah. them one day. And they were like, "There's nothing you can do that they yeah. won't." They they credit to them, they were really smart and like crafty with what they did. But back to my story was, like, if they choose to engage us, knowing we're, like, a trained, formed army with, like, heaps of people plus A&A, and they don't have, a, they're like, maybe two or three people just taking pot shots, they're doing it for a reason because it's optimal for them for what they want to achieve majority of the time. So they might be trying to push you into a certain area if they put IEDs down or if they've got stuff in place because they, all they have to do is ring out one shot and then everyone's going to sort of scatter and look for cover. And if you're doing that because the shoot threat is always precedent, like it doesn't matter what's happening. If if I'm getting shot at, I need to take care of that before I'm you know dealing with an yeah. ID or a casualty. Even our casualties have to take care of themselves until the shoot threat's gone because that's a bigger threat to everyone, yeah. including them. So you don't just stop shooting at someone to go do some first aid unless it's like giving someone a tourniquet. Um, and in your brain, you're like, fuck! I know I need to take cover. I know I'm getting shot at, but where do I go? Because like yeah. they know what I'm going to try and do or where I might potentially go. And but like being an engineer knowing that our job was to look for things you're like like yeah. where do i go here like i want to i don't want to get shot but i also don't want to blow up like, you know yeah I, mean? I don't so, want to yeah. run over that and yeah <laughs> there um there's a yeah it was, there was a, there was a saying where it's like we take like naturally as humans we're quite lazy so like we had a thing where it was like if you're channeled or you know if there was the opportunity to say for example there's a rock wall and there's a break in the rock wall or you could climb over the rock wall most people would normally walk through the break but that's the lazy route, and that's the, the most likely route. So, we avoid the most likely route and take the hardest route possible, an untargetable route, what we mm. try to call it. Um there's a story where um, we were patrolling and we had these at the out front. So, not the Australian engineers, we were back a little bit just searching stuff along the way. And they we're patrolling through. They went through this role, and the first lot of um, uh, infantry guys got to the wall, and there was the team leader um, and an interpreter. And they got to this rock wall and there was a break in the rock wall and the interpreter went through the break and the team leader went over the rock wall and there's an IED in the break and the interpreter got blown up and died and the um australian team leader who went over the rock wall was only a couple of meters away so he got copped a lot of shrapnel like it was tertiary shrapnel from rocks and stuff and got injured and sent home i think he lost his eye but um that's what we're talking about where like you're channeled but like if a shot rang out at that point like even like most people would go fuck, like you know take cover and they might duck yeah. through that break in the wall because they're like that's, yeah, that's protection right, right? yeah they, they do it for a reason because they're not going to just engage Setting up. yeah exactly um so that was something like i'm talking about like how mentally fatiguing a lot of it is because you, you're worried about that shoot threat you're worried about where you're walking you're worried about if you've missed something you're worried about like if you've got your dog Like there's so many things that you're trying to keep track of plus you're in this like 40 degree heat or like minus temperatures walking around wet shoes wet pants you know what i mean like there's a lot that goes on um crook guts yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, not healthy all the time. A lot bro, of right? a lot of dudes walking around with one boot like, <laughs> yeah. yeah,
0: this was a lifestyle sac- conversation. Sac- a weeks undies, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think I've
2: ever gone through so many pairs of in my life. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's, it's but it, like it sounds like a complaining, but I'm not. It's just part of the job and part of the the complexity of it. Um, but every yeah. job over there has its own complexities, right? Like it's not like any one 100%. job's harder than the others. <laughs> It, you're um, not complaining, you're just explaining exactly what yeah. was happening. Right? Yeah, exactly. Like, like, like my focus is on the ground and make sure the dude next to me who's doesn't get blown up, but his focus is out in front to make sure I don't get shot while I'm trying to protect you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's a yeah. it's this big organ like big organism that works together and everyone's got a lot of responsibility. But that's Especially part of the reason talking. why it works, right? Because yeah. like this thing called shared suffering, like everyone like who goes through shit times and stuff. They build these bonds and yeah. some of the dudes I'd never met before that deployment, but after nine months with them or even some of them, cause I moved around a fair bit on that deployment. I was actually really lucky. I did a lot of mounted stuff, a lot of dismounted stuff. And then I got to do um, like a, a joint sort of thing. Um, but um, a lot of the dudes, like some of them I only worked with for three months and this that deployment was in 2010. I'm still good friends with them now. Yeah. And I only really ever spent nine months with them, but it was like some pretty shit times mm. or some, you know, some really good times as well. But you just develop really good bonds with people in like when you're in situations like that
0: because you all go through the same shoot yeah absolutely and then yeah you, you come home you do your course um, you're now special forces you got joey still <laughs> uh yeah so joe actually retired um when i finished my um my
2: year training um so he retired he went back to one of his first handlers he yep. was a special forces handler as well who had since gotten out so um
1: proper retirement for him then yeah
2: he proper retirement he got a couple of good years left in him he ended up um getting cancer a lot of the a lot of the dogs end up like getting a good retirement and then just passing away peacefully like we've got a compulsory retirement age of eight now so yeah. we're training the dogs anywhere from 12 to 18 months or 24 months any later than that they try to avoid it because they retire them at eight so they get yeah. like a six-year operational lifespan of the dog from two years if it's you know yeah bought in at two years trained for a year they get like five to six years and then retirement eight um which is good like that's not relatively new but there were some dogs when i joined that were like 12 or 13 because they didn't have the they didn't have the the pool to recruit from to train newer dogs they were getting dogs from the pound and you know a lot of them even now we get a lot of dogs from like really reputable breeders that have big like organizations and a lot of them don't make the cut yeah so um yeah the, the pound dogs got us through a, a pretty rough period like majority of the yeah. afghan conflict was yeah. dogs that had been recruited through that stage it well mm. it's
1: interesting isn't
2: it yeah absolutely
0: all they gotta do is chase a ball yeah <laughs> <Chase laughs> That simple yeah. Yeah.
2: <laughs>
0: but yeah you did another tour as well mate Ah, uh, yeah i did so after um
2: getting through all that training um i spent a couple of years in that unit did um some domestic counterterrorism stuff i was lucky enough actually i don't know if i've mentioned this to you to get a trip over to Hawaii. Um, so the US. Yeah. Well, yeah <laughs> the US law enforcement agencies um, do this thing called the NOT assessment, national odor recognition testing. And it's basically they have to pass that to be able to use their dog's indications as evidence in a court of law and the ATF run that assessment for them and they do it in different places throughout America. And they had they held one in Hawaii and we got an invite and I was lucky enough to get my name on the list. So went over to hawaii with this dog um my, my springer who i got after joe retired got another springer
0: yeah, and who's that
2: that's loki loki yeah yeah it's loki.
0: anything like we're expecting from the um marvels series like yeah it? he was um he was like joe but
2: like on steroids he was, like, <laughs> yeah. he was just like a ping pong ball in his brain like he was he was a very hard dog to train but just like joe he gave 110 of anything he did so you couldn't fault his effort yeah it was just really hard to try and focus all that Sounds like a particular and- shepherd out there, <laughs> yeah. there. It was just really hard. With that dog, um, we were talking about like if we've ever gotten to find things that wasn't weren't explosives on that deployment, that um a specific type of switch, which is what you know, um uh it's like what would function in IED, right? We call yeah. it a switch. It could be a pressure plate, it could be a lamp it could be anything. But these um this switch was um like a really, really crafty but really dangerous thing because you couldn't you couldn't see them like I could lay one on the ground in front of me like just drop it and not blink and, and lose it they yeah, were right. they were like micro pressure plates on alternator wire so they had okay. alternator wire and they'd scratch off the coating in little spaces and then put like surgical tubing over it and glad wrap it on and they'd be hundreds of these in like Jeez, they put some effort in these things yeah you? it'd be hundreds yeah. of these in like a, a three four meter wide pressure plate they would just snake it down a path like that so it's like Chances are you're going to step on at least five of these in one footstep, right? Um, yeah. And one of them would just function whatever the device was. And they were so hard to see because they'd glad wrap it and then coat it into a resin and just roll it in dirt. It wasn't attached to anything. So you could like literally drop it in front of me in a pile and you wouldn't see it. See, um, see. Yeah. So we actually trained our dogs to find those. So we, we were lucky enough to have someone recover um, some of them and then they had um, some brought back to Australia so we could imprint our dogs on them Yeah. Um, so that they could find them yeah when we're doing searches um and yeah i taught loki how to do it It was, like, it was a nightmare because he's <laughs> like 110 percent, like it's zero it's zero or 100 those are his two speeds and getting him to slow down enough to even just do buried let alone find something like that was was really painful um the dude i actually took over when i got to iraq i don't know if i mentioned if it, it was iraq the deployment was iraq <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um this is in 2018 um the dude who i went over to replace trained loki um, yeah, right. At his basic course. So it was really cool. I got to take him over and show him where he was at. And he told me he was pretty impressed with where he was at. Um, cause he obviously knew the dog and how he worked. Um, and yeah, so that was, that was pretty good. Unfortunately, that trip was meant to be six months and it only ended up being like three for me cause I got injured. Yeah. Um, a training accident where I had a partial amputation of my right index finger and a couple of other breaks and some burns and stuff like that. Um, that was an interesting one um but yeah i ended up getting sent home after that and um, had to have some surgery and ended up getting that finger
0: amputated or part of that finger amputated nine, um nine and a half digits yeah <laughs> nine and a half <laughs> so, goes, so i shake it out to nine and a half that yeah, it's the highest it's the highest possible score you'll ever get for me. nine <laughs> and a half <laughs> um but
2: yeah so i got i got sent home from that unfortunately but um yeah so like we we're talking about before there was an old preserve um another Mate of mine from that unit went over and um, replaced me my dog stayed there for a bit yep. so um one of my good friends actually had to look after him he wasn't a dog handler and he was just like what do i feed him like cheetos <laughs> like, so it was like the dudes i was it was a small team of engineers there there's like other people who were working with but the engineers that were there there was like five of us so they had my dog and they were just like what the fuck do we do with it like yeah. <laughs> you know what i mean they, they had a good time with him they loved him though like well, the, the dogs are like just another one of the boys um and they, Ended up flying um one of the dudes over to look after him in Dubai because that's where we staged out of. They sent him back and then the other handler flew in and finished the rest of the tour off for me. Yeah.
0: And yeah. and Loki stayed. No, so Loki there.
2: flew back. He stayed for probably like a month or two yep. um before they managed to get him back. I'm um, a
0: pet with the with the team there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the
2: like the requirements, the like um I think it's Department of Agriculture and Water, like import export requirements for yep. getting these dogs is over there and back is really strict. Like we are like, yeah. You know, you're giving them docks, um docks of cycling. I think it is daily, like morning and night. You've got to, um, I think we front. We have to frontline them still like every month instead of three monthly. They've got to be wormed every month instead of three monthly. Like they're like regimented and you've got to document it all too. You've got to sign it all so that when you come back, your dog can actually get into the country and then they yep. still have to do, quarantine I think it was stuff. six months in quarantine. Six months. Yeah, I think yeah, it was wow. back in the day. I think we ended up um, managing somehow to get a quarantine facility on base that we had to manage and like, that was even there was a lot more work because we had to make sure it was clean and up to yeah. standard so that we could have the dogs there still because they'd be in melbourne for way too long but the time we got them back like the training was just shit. you'd be starting yeah. from nearly scratch again for this dog that was just running hot on employment for so long you get it back and it's just this overweight thing that doesn't doesn't yeah. do anything yeah but um, you wouldn't have to train as hard as what you initially oh, did no. to get it back on the bike a lot so of it was like, just conditioning and yeah. then like you know you get them over a couple of odors and they're like oh yeah i know those things it yeah. is again let's get going yeah but exactly obviously
0: you have to put time and effort back in them.
2: yeah um and it, yeah, it was just shit like you'd get home and you'd be on holidays and your, your dog's still stuck in like yeah. quarantine jail yes. for six months and you get back to your unit because you, you know you might spend a month on leave after your deployment you get back and you haven't got a dog so you're like what do i do fuck this sucks <laughs> like, yeah. i want to work a dog right he's <laughs> stuck in quarantine jail down in melbourne but um it's better now they've got much better
0: procedures now i don't think it's six months at all um yeah they're, they're pretty lucky mm. beautiful um oh I just had some, have you got like a oh how do i say it i don't want to say like a favorite story but like um a favorite find with funny dogs that you can talk about um Or even a special special moment that you had overseas with a dog, Um, doesn't even have to be a find, I suppose.
2: No, I I probably, I have to think about that
0: now. I got
2: a lot of like, I I spent, obviously I did three deployments. One was solely with a dog. One was the, the one in Iraq was a training mission. So I had a dog there as a force projection, like a force protection element. But I wasn't there to work a dog. I was there to train the Iraqi special forces in engineering, like um, high research stuff. But I had a dog there in case something happened and we needed to go do something. They could have that element. So that deployment was a lot of, again, me doing training with him to maintain this dog that they wanted in my own time outside of the hours that they wanted us to work with the Iraqi guys. Um, Yeah, well, yeah. And that was a lot of like sourcing areas and stuff by myself. So that one, I didn't get to do a whole lot of dog work. I do I, it, there's a lot of stories like everyone likes the dogs yeah. so if you're walking around this base with a dog you get a lot of attention a lot of a lot <laughs> of people want to come and pat your dogs um my favorite story with dogs it's, it's a little bit it's not really gruesome but joe the first time i ever met joe on my first deployment when he was, was when he was with this other handler who ended up um, adopting him when he retired and I think it was a bit of a stitch-up because back then they were doing um, on-source delivery. So they were like, go sit on top of that connex and, like, have the ball on the side of the connex. And when we tell you, drop the ball down because the hive was at the bottom of the connex. And this is in summer in Afghanistan. It's, like, 40 degrees and I'm laying on a metal connex. And I was there for about 45 minutes because the dog, like, he knew the odour was there but he couldn't pinpoint it. So he was in and out. And this this dog had a tail at this point. Shortly after, he did, yeah, <laughs> because he's a Springer, right? He's just so, and he was like working so hard for like forty minutes straight to get to this odor, and he just couldn't pinpoint it for some reason. But he knew it was in the area. He kept running back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, and he bashed his tail up that much that it was broken and it wow. never healed. Oh, wow. So like they they bandaged it up and they kept like you know he was there for an operation. So he had to go work, and every time he went out, he'd like break it on something and keep breaking, keep breaking it. So they had to amputate his tail while he was over there. So they amputated his tail, and then he was fine. and he went back out working. Wow. But um, yeah, I was sitting on top of this conex with this ball for like forty minutes, and then finally they got me to drop the ball, and I got <laughs> down, and it looked like a murder scene. There was like blood from his broken tail because he was oh. in there working so hard, just ashing cool. it on these um pallets, and then on this conex, like it's uh, just a lot of blood. And I was just like, "What the hell happened down here?" Like I was laying on this conex for forty minutes. Like this. <laughs> I come over and there's like all this blood, and then the dog's tail get amputated. Um, but that was my first interaction with Joe, and then about nearly just over a year later i was i was working him I yeah, was yeah. handling him the dog a tail yeah <laughs> <laughs> he was like i remember you when you had a tail <laughs>
3: <laughs>
0: but I, I can see why they had to get rid of it because he was just nuts like yeah it was 110 all the time so oh might sacrifice his tail for a ball yeah just goes to show how hard they're working like
1: yeah about or and he,
0: he didn't give up like they were willing to let him work as long as he could that same
2: dog actually another story about this dog i um before that deployment when i was um in back in darwin um continuing my training after i got removed from the trip and then brought back on i had to continue my training i was working him um up in darwin he'd been there for a while so we acclimatized, and we were doing a route search and i think it was like maybe 800 meters so it wasn't very long one by their standards and um he probably worked for maybe 16 17 minutes on this route search and he was working like fine no no that i could see um noticeable signs like he was tight but he wasn't like as tight as I'm about That's to scary. tell you he was. He, he, he was working, he was working, he got to the ball, sat and just stared at it. And I did, I was probably like maybe 100, maybe 80 to 100 metres away. So I had to walk up on source delivery still at that point. He just sat there staring at it, threw the ball in, he grabbed it, collapsed. He, um, oh, wow. His internal temperature was like nearly 42 degrees. He was just working so hard and he got to that odour, just sat there staring at it, finally got
0: his ball and just collapsed. And, and even, yeah. He he um he would have been even just staring at that thing, waiting for his... um reward he would have been burning up in the head too yeah. right so
2: um we ended up taking him to the vet and had to get like a plasma transfusion and everything for him because he's like I think the doctor was saying something about like a degree or half a degree more and he's like multiple <laughs> organ failure oh,
3: just right. giving
2: in and like I was working him and I'd worked this dog for a while and like I was watching him because we we're watching him work right and I was like no visible signs that this dog was about to go down with like like a heat stroke essentially and like he just you know, threw the ball and got his ball, pretty much grabbed it, turned around and just went, poof, like fell on the ground. I was just like, oh, shit.
3: Yeah.
2: But like that's the, the type of dog we've, we've got, like the dogs that are just so into this work and it's all just for a tennis ball.
0: Um, we kind of need them to be. And you are probably seeing a little bit of that now. Yeah. Just on, not on tennis <laughs> balls, right? Yeah. Yeah, no, it's <laughs> definitely what I'm seeing. Got <laughs> 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 a couple of young prospects. <laughs> so um, you've come home. Um, what 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 was lefty in the army, mate? What would did you do after that? Um, so I f- when was that? That was 2018.
2: So I spent another couple of years in that unit, um, doing a few different roles. Like I moved out of dogs for a year because I just wanted a bit of a, a bit of a change. Um, it was, I felt like I was getting a bit stagnant there, doing the same sort of thing, especially with like um, deployments and operations and stuff. Essentially drying up. There was a lot of training and not much actual working. Of your dog. Um, and I, was, I wanted a bit of a change. So I didn't, um, went to go pursue the EOD path like we were talking about before, because um, I had the qual. There's a couple of different quals you get. You've got an EOD qualifications, qualifications, <laughs> and explosive, dispo- uh, explosive ordnance disposal technician. Then you've got an explosive ordnance, ordnance reconnaissance, which is basically someone who just helps an EOD tech. And there's another qual that was sort of outdated that I had. Um, so I was going to move down that path and try and pursue that. But um, I realized quickly that it wasn't. What i wanted to do um i ended up doing a, a a different role within my troop at that point in more of a um leadership admin role taking care of my troop and then i posted into um in 2022 the schools of military engineering as an instructor at the dog cell um where we run the basic dog handler course and the supervisor course which is essentially like um, our dog trainers so the basic dog handler course are engineers that have no, no background or anything like that. We bring them in six months later; they're a qualified dog handler yep. to our to our minimum, our smallest, like a basic standard. And then our supervisors' course is where we get senior qualified dog handlers and bring them in, and they train explosive detection dogs from just a dog out to a like a finished product after six months. um So that course is run right at the start of the year, which I, I really enjoyed. I, I liked teaching, and the dudes I had on that course were phenomenal. They were like really eager and they were really good um handlers so watching them train dogs and it's it's being able to see that product right you get these dogs who just dogs like they chase a tennis ball that's about it they might sit depending where we get them from yeah but then six months later they're like working off lead at distance like um you know finding all these odors and like doing a whole heap of other things they like um we train them to follow lasers so you can target specific things like with these dogs, if I wanted to send it down an alleyway to a specific door, it's going to search everything on the way that's how we train them, where we train them to follow a laser where they'll follow it to a point and then they'll search where the laser was so we can target specific things to expedite, even though they're very quick, like they're much quicker than a hand searcher, we can expedite the process of getting them to there if we can get an untargetable mm. route to that door. We don't need to search the whole way search to it. Search from here on. Yeah. Mm. And it's just a really good way of... You know pinpointing them if you want them if they're in a room and i normally we let them go into a room by themselves first like do a bit of a, what we call a free head where they just run around and like you watch what they have and haven't done and trying to watch any changes in their body language and then you go in and systematic and like hand target things that you think they might have missed with this, it's
0: just an easy way to do it as well if it's a dark room or a lot so of stuff. So you're basically like pointing and like yeah. waving your hand around, guiding the dog and going, hey, search over here, over yeah. here, over here. Over a here. lot of this,
2: everything we do, we try to do from distance because obviously like the nature of the job. We want the dogs to be comfortable working away from us because that's how they're going to be in an operational setting. Um, majority of the time, some of the times you are hand searching stuff if you feel like, um, you know, you're not in a dangerous position, you're just looking for like a cache, like somebody's yeah, hidden a weapon close or to that. touch something to lose your arm, right? Yeah. Or, if you're not, or worse. Yeah, you're not going to be like hand targeting where you think there might be IEDs, um, yeah. but like if you're searching a rock wall and you think there might be like a cache or a hidden weapon or something, you can do that. Um, but they need to get comfortable working at a distance where they're not right near us and we need to get them used to being controllable at that distance. You know what I mean? Um, a lot of the stuff we do is like verbal hand signals as well. So we'll cue a, a hand signal to a verbal at distance they might not hear what the verbal command is but they might hear something and look back and then we can sort of do body movement or gesture where we want them or what we want them to do <laughs> how um, about whistles do you ever use whistles? no we didn't use whistles we did use um a collar that would beep and vibrate so we could cue commands to those so mm-hmm. we would use one um the vibrates for a silent recall because if we were doing stuff at night and we were using the dog to search a, an entrance to a building we didn't want people to know we we're there we could you Know get the dog cast the dog in quietly with like a laser or something and then recall it if it did indicate with no noise and bring it back and be like, Oh, we're not using that entrance or whatever it was. Um, and then we had a vibrate, um, as well for a stay. So if, like, for example, we got into a firefight and my dog was out of distance just and drop it. it was safe, I could drop it before I didn't want to recall it right in the middle of a firefight when shit's going like bad. Yep. I could drop it if it was somewhere safe and just keep it there until like we get to a position or get to it, or it was safe to recall it. Um, and we use the vibrate for that because we feel like the, sorry, the tone for that, or, sorry, the, yeah, the tone for the recall, cause it's a bit louder and the, if there's shit going on and there's shooting happening there's a noise yeah and, yeah and it's just breaks through and we
0: want the vibrate for the silent recall. Yeah. yeah So now you're training, um, dog handlers, yeah right? Or you're creating dog handlers. Yeah. Are they coming out of a structured kind of mentality? yeah how do you tone that back how, how do you tie that to what we do now well like,
1: when you say we now you mean at hooked on house that's on here. like yeah. now we're,
0: we're dealing with pet owners that haven't kind of got the structure that you had before like how's
2: yeah
0: um how challenging i'm, are you I'm struggling that? yeah you're doing a good job mate. Had, yeah. no I've, one would pick it
2: i had a lot of like a lot of people like a lot of my close friends are very honest with me and they're like you're a very abrasive and direct person <laughs> and that rubs a lot of people around mate, got me in a lot of trouble in the military um it's not out of malice. I'm just like, someone asks me to do something. I'm like, why am I doing that? Just because I want to know what the end goal is. And it, I learned very quickly that it's not the correct way to do things. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, I'm like, like you, like you highlighted, I'm I'm used to working with a lot of like really motivated,
0: um, you know, analytical Yeah, soldiers, tools, right? they're like, you do, give them a task and they do it. Yeah. Um, and they're and very motivated. My awareness rate, right, I suppose, is where I'm going
2: as well. Yeah. And they've, you know, they've got accountability. Like they can get in trouble, like legitimate trouble if something happens that they were meant to do Um, and we rely on that a lot. You know, I mean, it's like I'd tell you to do this. I shouldn't have to check up on it because, you know, you're going to get your ass kicked if you Mm -hmm. don't do it, so Mm -hmm. I don't have to check up on you because, you know, that will come, but I can't make someone. I can't yell at a client and be like, go fucking do this (laughs) because I'm telling you to. Um, Yeah, it's been it's been a challenge. But um, at the end of the day, I kind of just like the fact that I'm still working with dogs after, after leaving now Cause I, I don't know if I've mentioned it, I ended up leaving, um, December last year and then Dan and Nat were kind enough to give me a job as their trainee.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Fast forward, mate. It really well. Um, uh, actually Nat, Nat there's a job here the other week and that goes, oh, it was good that, uh, you got Shane to take that over because I think you were a bit too direct <laughs> and Shane done really good with that client. I was just like. I thought it was been nice. <laughs> <laughs> that be the first, first time I've heard that. No, nah, you're doing a fantastic um, job. No, but all,
2: I'm enjoying it. Like, I'm just happy to be, like, still working with dogs and, like, seeing – like and like I said before, the, the, the biggest thing I liked about my last year in defense as, as an instructor was seeing that progression, you know what I mean? Like, being able to see this dog week to week just get better and better and better, and the people that you're instructing have all those cogs fall into place and just be like – okay and you know what i mean that's why we're doing that that was yeah Yeah. and that was i found that really beneficial because i was just like like i know all this stuff works i've trained dogs to do it and i've seen it done before but just being able to tell someone and see them do it and it's like the the circle's complete you know what i mean like it it just felt really i'm really fulfilled by it um but yeah I'm, i'm still just happy to be working dogs and i just have to make sure that i um, remember I'm not in the
0: military and I'm dealing with people who are paying to be here <laughs> Yeah. and that, um, I want them to come back. <laughs> uh, you're doing, mate, you're doing a good job, mate. Like I said, you know, I've been, made a commitment to you as much as you made a commitment to us, right? And I have been honest and upfront. So you're doing a fantastic job Thank you. and obviously, um, you own business there in K-9 cent training, mm-hmm. um, what was the thought process behind, behind that?
2: Um, so. Once I um, understood that I was, because I was being medically discharged from the from the military, just too many injuries um, compiled up, and I wasn't able to effectively do my job anymore um, to the highest standard. Um, I was like, shit, like, what am I going to do? And I knew I wanted to stay with dogs, so I was like, um, I'd, I'd heard about Noseworks and all that sort of stuff, and I'd spoken to a few people, um, like Becky Thomas up in Queensland from kind um, of Noseworks. And yeah, I was like, there's a there's a market for for the skill set that I have. Um so why not try and take advantage of that? I'll be doing something that I enjoy and I'll be doing something that I know how to do, um, that the military spent a lot of time and money into
0: training me to be able to do and then just went, all right, you're done, off you go. And I was like, okay. And (laughs) and like as you see here, like yeah at hooked on hands, like there's so many people investing in their dogs especially like yeah. after COVID. it's really like you know i think I, I don't even know what the number is for dog population taking off and we you COVID. and i will talk about it all the time genetic fulfillment right yeah um so the services you you can offer there they really are, are growing really quick because yeah. people wanted to get the best out of their dog i think a lot of people are sort of trying to move into
2: you know like understanding, like we're talking about genetic fulfillment and, and things that they can do for their dogs that aren't just, you know, taking it to the park and throwing a ball for it. They want some sort of mental stimulation where the dog has to think about what it's doing and you know, get some fulfillment in that. And, um, you know, uh, scent detection is definitely one of those ones where your dog has to use its brain and it's sniffing all at the same time while it's meant to be breathing. Like, so it's it's a very um, challenging thing for a dog to do, um, especially for long periods of time. They do it really well. Um, but, like, yeah, it's one of those things that's, like, just really beneficial for a dog that you know you want to get it using its brain and trying to determine what it's meant to be doing. Like, if this is the odor it's looking for, if that's not, like, um, I really enjoy it. Um, and yeah, like I said, there's a lot of people I feel out there nowadays that are trying to do a lot more things like that, like the herding, all these um agility competitions and stuff, where you're not just taking your dog to the park, throwing a ball for half an hour and saying, Yeah, I've done yeah. a great job with yeah. my dog, you know what I mean? Because you really haven't.
0: Oh, it's funny, yeah, you're right. And I remember, it's funny you mentioned herding next. I remember the first time you came out oh, with, one my of mind. Our, with one of our favourite clients, there, yeah. and you come <laughs> as a guest. And I think something happened. I sent a dog out and just turned my back, and we kept talking. And the next minute, the stocker coming back with the sheep, come back for the paddock, and you're like, "So, how did you make him do that?" And I go, yeah, I didn't make him. I just asked him to go that particular way. And yeah, so like all of our dogs
2: that we work with, we have to teach them. The directions that we want so we do it through place training and like this reward history and we end up like giving them directions and commands that they follow but we have to train that in them because there's no stock for them to hurt i'm like oh, you get on means go that way until i tell you get across get over or get back or come back um it's very it, mechanical right yeah we, yeah we train it like that and they're very robotic in that sense and then once you take all those place markers away it's more like steering a tugboat and then turning you know what I mean <laughs> yeah. because there's no marks from the go to so you start using those commands to take into things that you think will draw their attention to search or where you might think there could be something for them to search um so that's how we ended up like moving into that but then when I saw the the herding dogs do that and they were just doing it I was like yeah but how did you how? Like yeah. how did you get from this to that? Like I don't understand. And it it literally blew my mind. I was like, wow. And um I drew a lot of like similarities in like um how it was achieved and but it was still just like blowing my mind that it was just like you just walk this way and the dog goes that way. And I was like, but why? Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. Why is it doing this? Like you haven't told it. You haven't taught it how do you, you haven't told it to do
0: why? And it yeah, I was fascinated and I've yeah, I enjoy watching it ever since. And even get your hands in there and get dirty just about every day now. Even <laughs> running doing some of that stuff yourself, right? Like yeah. well, I'm one of these kind of uh guys that kind of gotta learn by jumping in the deep end sometimes. So I'm like, Hey Shane, start this dog. Yeah.
2: All he right? goes, This isn't
0: in your job description, but do this. <laughs> yeah, like one of the I think it was like the second I hadn't even worked a dog.
2: And Dan was like, Here take this client's dog, get in the yard and I was just like, Okay, <laughs> like, I got to pretend like I know what I'm doing here. And it was like, like it was, it was, it was really good. Like you just, I mean, I'd seen Dan do it a couple of times. I'd seen other clients he do it, and I was just like, okay, I'm just going to mirror what they do. And it was just like, it was crazy. Like I was just like, okay, I'm going to walk this way. Dog goes that way. I'm going to go around this way. God goes that way. Like, it was, do you find
1: the principles all the same,
2: um, or not at all? In regards to the herding,
1: just in regards to training. Yeah, like, like
2: a lot of the, like all the like foundations behind, you know, like what, what we're doing here with and what we're telling the clients on how to train their dogs and how to solve problems. Exact same. Like yeah. part of the um the spiel I had with um like the scent detection course I wanted to run is like like I don't I don't care if I'm training like your pet dog or a military working dog. The foundations for this scent work are all the same. Like yeah. I'm not it's gonna be no different. It's just how far I take it. Yeah. Past these foundations will determine like, you know, where where you want this dog to go it will yeah. determine how far I'm gonna take it. But the initial imprinting and targeting of a, of like a, a century or whatever it is, you're going to have your odor in and imprinting of that odor is the exact same. It doesn't matter what dog I'm mm-hmm. working. Um,
0: just that it's the building blocks of everything else we're going to, we're going to go from. And we keep your training there pretty sharp with one of our own here anyway. So yeah, it always yeah. Keep your toes yeah. become your favorite blue pretty quickly. Didn't he? Yeah, he did. I'm having a, I'm having a good time with him. But, uh,
2: yeah, I look forward to working him every time. He's, he's just a fit. Like I, I think I said the other day, I was like, there's so much potential in that dog that, like, I you mean like it, for
1: military work or
2: for yeah, like operational, like work. Yeah. Um, so you're
1: not talking about one of these Kelpies, you're talking about one of the shepherds. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. You're talking
2: about one of the shepherds. Oh, I wasn't Like, when I got here and started working here, like, I um saw all of Dan's dogs and I was just like, like, started doing some stuff just to show them. Like, yeah. they actually went out on a limb and hired me without ever having seen me work a dog or train yeah. a dog. They just went so out of like, like, like word of mouth, and I was yeah. like, okay, that's a bit, that's a bold move. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, I've got to show you something, right? And yeah. I started training um one of their dogs to do some scent work, and I was just like, holy shit, like this dog is really good. And we'd um like I'd try to recruit a couple of dogs, like always looking at dogs and assessing dogs, especially at the school. Um, and like I saw him and started working with him, and I was like, like this dog could do this job for real. And spoke to Dan and Nat, and I was like, like I really want to
0: train this dog
2: to do something. Like I feel like he's got so much potential that. You know, it'd be a crime to let that go to waste and not, you know, give him a job where he can do some real good work. Um, So yeah, we're just working along with him. Along, he's doing really well. Um, so now we share him.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're taking turns. To share custody. <laughs> and, and how about like you mentioned that like you do jump in here now and, and get dogs started and and you're progressing right? Like you, yeah. like you come third in your first trial the other day, right? Yeah, 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 like yeah you're, yeah. you're progressing like. How you found the foundations of starting a stock dog now and working a stock dog? And, like, you're working dogs of all different stages, right? You work some of my fully trained dogs. You've started dogs you've never seen a sheep before. Yeah. How – Like, I know that still spins your mind because you've got another living – you're working another living, breathing or, uh, organism yeah. is is the reward, right, in the sheep. Yeah. So how, how do you get your head around that and how – I feel like there's, a like, a lot of it, like – I feel like a lot of it carries over
2: right like i, I haven't worked a whole lot like you said since working here i've only started working some stock dogs but i remember watching you work and like piecing together and asking questions why certain things are done so in my mind i had a i had like a, a rough idea and i would ask you so that i could like you know draw that conclusion and be like is this why you're doing this or is this why you're doing this so I can be like okay like i'm piecing all this together like why are you doing these things and how this is rewarding for the dog and you know how you're building. You know these behaviors are by what you're doing um a lot of it makes like all of it makes sense to me and i've just really enjoyed you know getting getting in there and actually doing it because i'm very similar like oh, i have to physically get in and do things to learn like i, I can yeah, read visual yeah, yeah i'm visual and like physical like i have to get in be doing things and like fuck up a couple of times and like yeah. you know what i mean that's my fingers is an example <laughs> um, to, to learn. So, like, watching someone do that and ask questions is fine, but then actually getting in there and being on the ground doing it um, is where, like, for me, like, I get way more than anything else, like, them sitting and watching. Like, it, it pieces things together, but it really solidifies it all for me when I'm in there actually doing it.
0: But, um, yeah,
2: I think that answered your question, hopefully.
0: Yeah. It, yeah. it did, it did. And what about, like, you're, obviously you're exposed to so many dogs now. Yeah. Like, with a lot of different behavioural issues. How, how much are you learning about dogs? A lot. Um, so I, I've mentioned this to you before.
2: Like one of the things I was actually really excited about when I, when I started working here was like we get access to a lot of dogs um, in the military, but we're kind of spoilt for choice where if we get a dog that, um, it, it might sound a little bad, but if we get a dog that has some issues that the, the time investment isn't going to be worth it in the end. Because yeah, we and could and just replace that lot, dog. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's a business at the end of the day, right? And they, they have to produce product. Like there's a capability that's that's dependent on, you know, product being produced for, you know, you know essentially at the end of the day, people's like safety. Um so if we get a dog that, that where the time investment to fix certain issues isn't worth it, we can just send that dog back and get another one. and start from scratch so i said to dan and Nat, i was like i didn't have a whole lot of experience in dealing with dogs with heaps of reactivity issues or lots of behavioral issues we had a couple here and there a couple of dogs that didn't get on but it wasn't like anything like what you might see here and i said i was really excited to to learn and get exposure to that because i just didn't get that mm. um in that job because it just wasn't something that they were willing to entertain which is
1: fair enough like yeah exactly the dogs yeah. are there protecting your lives at the end of the day yeah
2: and yeah it's, it's again it's just a big business defense mm. like if it's not worth their time and effort yeah because they do have timelines like it is a timed course you have to produce dogs by this point for the next year's course and then so on and so forth and it just keeps rolling over and yeah. there's dogs retiring out of the units and stuff like that so they've they've got a Keep rolling through and bring the best possible candidates in, so for the most chance of success. Because you know you'll get a supervisor that might start with five dogs and only pass one. And yeah. there's like yeah. maybe six supervisors on a course. Um, a lot of dogs. Yeah, exactly. So there's a lot of dropouts, and they can fail on really easy things, like um, if they're you know scared of gunfire. We can do some gunfire exposure, but if they're terrified of it, then they're
1: terrified they might of it.
2: Replace it. Then same with helicopters. We had one dog that we had to replace because it wouldn't walk on tile floors, and we yeah, sp- right. we had like six or seven different trainers like do different things and like talk about different things and try and expose and it just like even for a tennis ball, we chase a tennis ball all day for anything. This was Kelpie. Um, actually, um, when we retired her, I adopted her out to a mate of mine. Um, yeah, it still has issues with surfaces like that, but we just couldn't get it through. And it was towards the end of their course before the the trainee identified it. And we were like, you don't have the time to work this, to get this dog over the line.
3: Yeah.
2: Um, he ended up giving that dog to me and I gave him my dogs as, as instructors, we take on a dog so that we can, when we're, when we're explaining something, we can physically demonstrate it and you can see the troubleshooting. So if I just bring yeah. out this perfect dog that's already trained. You're not yeah. going to learn as much, right? So as the instructors, we would have green dogs that we train in line with, with, the, with the students as one yeah. we're there. So we're still getting hands on dogs, still learning and experiencing all the because every dog will be different. And then I ended up giving that my dog to this um, trainer. He ended up keeping that and passing it, and that was his dog that he uh, went to his unit with,
0: another Kelpie. Yeah. 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 And and actually, that's, I'm glad you actually just highlighted that. Not that it's a Kelpie, but um, you guys um, were actually recruiting dogs for some like, really reputable um, yeah. rescue groups as well, right? So yeah. you're using recycled dogs, yeah, well, um, yeah, and giving them a second chance.
1: That's really cool. For yeah.
0: oh, absolutely. For yeah, like so, government
1: organisation to
2: yeah, yeah. yeah. I um, well, I, I so I have foster dogs for like a rescue. Am I to name them? Yeah, well, yeah. 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 so it's uh, fetching dogs. Um, I. I can't remember how I got in contact with them. I think it was still like a, a mutual friend. Um, and, yeah, they hit me up a, a while back to um, foster some dogs that they thought might be suitable because they knew where I worked. And, um, yeah, I've fostered like a, a couple of dogs now, probably over 10 now I think with them in the last – couple of pretty cool ones too. Yeah, a couple of them we've um, ended up getting through. Like I'll take them on, do our assessment, and then take them into work and be like, try this dog and I'll try so, it and then buy it.
1: So you're still involved with them in that process The then?
2: fostering. Well, yeah, the yeah. army
1: and getting, like, recruiting dogs then?
2: Is that? Um, I wouldn't say, like, like deeply involved. Like, I still talk to them yeah. and, like, um, if I see a dog that I think um, would be suitable, yeah. I let them know because I'm still passionate about the work and I know the dogs, if it makes it through, it's going to be doing, yeah. like, a, a really valued job yeah. keeping people safe. So, yeah, 100%, if I, if I find a dog that's suitable, I would definitely tell them about it or even try and train one for them yeah. um, to, to pass on. Um, but yeah, I've had a had a couple of good ones come through that rescue.
0: Um, how um, many good ones there. have we had here and We're like, well, yeah. let's get this, we, we start playing with him. He's like, this dog would be an awesome yeah. dog. Yeah, I feel like every day I'm like trying <laughs> to steal one
2: dog or someone. <laughs> there,
0: there's people out here, like there are clients sitting on gold mines of 100%. dogs, right? Like... That's how we used to get some dogs too.
2: There'd be people just ring up and say, oh, this dog's just too high energy. And we'd go out and have a look at it, throw a ball, at the chase it, we'll take it. Yeah. Some of the best, one of our, one of the best dogs we ever had, um, his name was fletch he was like a brown in my opinion anyway one of the best dogs we ever had um he was this really small brown i think he was like a cocker spaniel cross something um but he was tiny we actually rescued him off the off the vet's bed he was about to get green gooed. like oh, we wow. into wow. the vet and said we're taking this dog took him got him trained up and he was like one of the the best dogs we ever produced yeah and like got to see work which was crazy yeah. like there was a lot of a lot of good dogs like that especially from the vet, like the pounds and stuff like that. Yeah. But now, like, they, they've they secured, like, a, a fairly decent, like, um, recruitment um, Process. partner, yeah, where yeah. they can get, like, just access to bulk dogs where they can, you know, I think one year we brought, like, 23 dogs in from this, um, this organisation, a government organisation, assessed them all and kept, like,
0: 17 of them and then yeah. I think out of those 17, like, maybe nine passed.
1: Yeah, right. It's pretty
0: yeah. high, like, yeah. considering, like, they're coming from, Mum and dad had backyards. A lot of these dogs were right? yeah. like, you know, and with too much or barking or digging or carrying on, yeah. and they're getting a second lease of life, yeah. or at least an opportunity. Yeah.
1: And do they, does it have to be a ball or can it be like a tug? Or... No, so
2: historically it used to be like if the dog doesn't chase the ball, it's, it's useless. Yeah. But now, um, like, it's going to sound really bad, but like up until like a couple of years ago, we weren't even allowed to use clickers. Like it was all compulsion. There's like a really, a really sort of, um, Like old school period, especially when I joined, um, there was a lot of compulsion and like um, like positive punishment stuff. And a couple of years after I joined, sort of this big shift, like a lot of the older trainers who were like, I feel just too afraid to learn new techniques and stuff. They ended up leaving and some of the newer um, people coming into those positions were a bit more open minded and willing to learn. And they really paved this way where everything just shifted so we can use tennis balls we can use bumpers we can use bite pillows we can use whatever whatever the dog finds valuable yep. if the dog's going to work for it to the degree that we need it to fucking use it yeah like if it achieves the end goal doesn't matter like we, we've probably been so many dogs that would have been amazing simply yeah. because they would have rather bite a pillow than chase a tennis ball and we were yeah. like no it's useless it's yeah. like such a waste when you think about it and yeah. it's like now they're really good like they there's a lot of um for, for even when I did my basic course, because I instructed on the basic course for last year and the content that they were delivered was like leaps and bounds beyond what I got taught mine. Yeah. Like, and I was just like, you guys don't know how lucky you are. Like yeah. the, the freedom you have with training tools. And, you know, we basically say to them, like, these are all the training methods that we would like you to use. These like you can use century, you can use this, you can do whatever you want, like, however you want to train, like within this scope, we give them a, a decent scope. And we're like, challenge you to, like train one of your dogs in each way yeah so like you might you know for your for your imprinting you might use be sent to wall for the other you might use something else for this one trial them all because yeah. this is like once you leave here you've got one dog and your, your access to dogs and dogs that need training mm-hmm. is going to dwindle because when you're in your units you don't have you can't just go grab six dogs and train them because your unit takes on that responsibility and it's all money right but here you've got access to essentially a, a, an endless supply of dogs and training aids and knowledge from all these other trainers Trial amount, try everything, try one dog, try a different thing each time. If it doesn't work, swap to something else. Like you have to make use in the toolbox. Bro. Yeah, oh. use usually six months to soak up as much as you can. And it's hard for them because they have to produce a product. So they all just go for the, whatever they know is the easiest it's and the most effective. reliable. Yeah. And it's wow. like, yeah, I get that. But like, I'd rather see you, like I'm less likely to fail you on something. If I've seen that you've actually tr- you know, challenged yourself and broaden your horizon to make yourself a better trainer in the long run than just stuck to one thing and that's all, you know. If you get a dog that that doesn't work on, you're fucked. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like this is your chance to grow and learn. Take advantage of it because, like, you've still got one dog. You can do the easy stuff on. You only have to pass the one dog to get through the course, right? And it's the course is it's very intense. Like there's a lot that goes on, but it's it's adequate to get through. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. So really try and give them all the tools, like all the opportunity to learn and try different things, and just experience it because that those opportunities drastically reduce when they go to their unit because they've got other responsibilities. They don't have access to the training aids or the tools or the dogs or the the knowledge that is around them at the school. There's a lot of um, qualified trainers there, like a lot of knowledgeable trainers there. Um, Yeah, and that's I enjoyed that part of my last year in Defence the most because the dudes that we had there really took it on board and they were like, I was dreading going to that posting. I didn't want to do it. I was (laughs) like, no, I don't want to leave my unit because it was fun and I enjoyed it and I lost that fight. Um, But I got there and I was like, this is probably the best year I've had
0: in the last couple that I can think of in defense like there's no,
2: for, 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 oh, sorry, for
0: fulfillment in my job. There's yeah. no way to, um, to learn what teaching either. Right? Yeah, like. exactly. Yeah. No, it
2: was good. It really solidifies a lot of things in your brain when you say it out loud. Um, but yeah. And I like, honestly, that was like probably one of the best years I've ever had in like my 16 years was that last year at the school, like instructing people. And yeah. I think it was because of the staff that we had there, the students that were there and, um, the like the um like the learning culture that we had it wasn't like it used to be where it was like this is the only way to do things you know what i mean like do it this way it's the only way to do it yeah, yeah. it was very much like pick your poison try everything out like we want you to grow and learn and like feed us like there were people doing like imprinting dogs and teaching dogs things that i hadn't even tried and i was like tell me about it. like i want to know what you're experiencing because yeah. i've never done this yeah
3: you
0: know what i mean so that was good and
2: like i really enjoyed it
0: that's real cool and you've mentioned it a couple of times, like new, like experiences and whatnot. So we mentioned earlier that you come third at your first sheep yes. trail, right? And he's a guy that's been out working overseas, finding life bombs, right? That's ultimately what you're doing. And then you're at your first three sheep trail, Mister Cool works out. How are your nerves <laughs> at, at your first three sheep trail, mate? Like.
1: Three sheep. Oh, sorry,
0: first um, yard trial. I think I was trial. there and so I did a different came...
1: course to a three sheep. <laughs> he came 3rd <laughs> something I'm thinking third. Coming third in your
0: first in your first yard trial. You looked pretty cool.
2: I yeah so. I wasn't like in my brain, I was like, I was thinking about it because, like, I was like, okay, I want to be really well. I want to impress Danny. I want to beat Nat. <laughs> <laughs> um, but
0: I got out there and, like, I was working trick your dog, and she's. And like, that, in my opinion, that had the, probably the better dog as well. Oh, really? Right? <laughs> she, had, she had my favorite, right? But, <laughs>
2: <laughs> but, um, yes, yeah, so I got out there. I was, I, I wasn't nervous for the work. I was more nervous about, like, fucking it up, you know what I mean? Like I was I was comfortable with working trick and um where I needed to go. But there were there were definitely moments in there where I think in the the final um where I was oh there was one where you told me to get off the gate like yelled at me and like you can see in the video I was just like, uh, uh, like nervously <laughs> stepping away from the gate. Which
0: I done for everybody. Yeah, like, yeah, um, yeah. I, so yeah I, yeah I was the judge. So yeah he, he did win against my partner who I also charged um and there were no favorites. Pete, everyone was judged accordingly but I hope everyone appeared. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I was encouraged. like that didn't help you because you worked just work for but, us. Um, I think us. in the trial when um the sheep were like um, one of them was like sideways
2: up at the drench I think and I was just standing there and I was just like bringing tricky in getting around and she was like breaking the sheep away and I was just like fuck what do I do here Yeah, I'm like I had that moment where I was like oh no I don't know what to do and um and I think Dan was like get the dog over the sheep push them all away and then put him back in I was like. It's so simple
3: like
2: <laughs> that makes perfect sense but i just like at that in that moment i was like oh fuck, oh, fuck, oh, fuck. Like, yeah. what do i do this isn't this isn't going to plan um so i definitely freaked out a little bit there but it wasn't like i was i was freaking out i was just like oh shit, i don't know what to do here like yeah i just didn't even conceive the idea of getting her over even though i knew i had to get her up on the sheep in the drench race to push him up i was just pushing back out and get him in i was like yeah common <laughs> sense right at <It> like, <laughs> that moment i just lost it and i was just like oh man this has this gone to shit. What do I do?
1: <laughs> you looked calm out there. I was like, you look very calm, baby. Yeah. Mum like and I that. even made a comment. Like, we were sitting up having having a drink. And um, we're like, that's the calmest we've ever seen, Trick. And that was, we didn't see the <laughs> final. But we all saw the first round. Yeah. We we're like, I don't think I've ever seen that dog that calm. Well, all the, <laughs> I think all the
0: points later, I lost like. were from my fuck-ups. <laughs> yeah. Did you catch a bug? Did I catch a bug? Yeah. Did you catch a addicted Addicted. Oh, yeah.
2: Bug? I want to do it again, definitely.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I need to get my own dog.
2: Yeah. I don't think I can get my Springer Spaniel around. I'll give it a
0: crack. We'll we'll joke about this. We'll just tie tennis balls to the back of the wall. He'll get get up anywhere. Good old Tongue. Yeah. Yeah. So actually, I'm glad you actually did did mention Tonk, right? So you've got, you've had um, a great career there with these Springer Spaniels. Yeah. Now you've got your own Springer Spaniel at home, which you have for some time now. Yep. Um, You obviously invest a lot of time in him as well.
2: Yeah, so um, I got him when I was doing my, my trainer's course. Um, so he was like a 12-week-old part run around with two-year-old. I had another Springer on that course, uh, two Labradors and two Kelpie, a uh, Kelpie and a Cooley Cross, uh, Kelpie and then a Kelpie Cooley Cross. I had five dogs plus this Springer. Um, and I was just like training him at like 12, 13 weeks old like I was these two-year-old dogs. And like I was letting him run around. I was doing directionals with him. The only thing I stopped short on was the imprinting. Um, because he was my dog and I didn't want to imprint him on, you know, um, live <laughs> explosives that weren't, weren't mine, right? Could come in handy out there. And yeah. probably yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> um, but yeah, I was, I was loving it. I was working him. Um, and he pretty much, like, if I wanted to, I reckon, like, if I'd have offered him to defense, I could have, like, put him in there and, and done the job. He's got the drive for it, he's smart enough to, to get through it. Um, I prefer dogs that are a little more on the on the not so sharp side than the smart ones because i like i i like the dogs that are harder to train in the beginning and then they become easier in the end i feel like the ones that are really easy to train early on like the really smart ones you often develop problems with later because they're too smart and they try to take shortcuts and (laughs) the ones that are a little bit on the dull side you know they just do what they know and then they just get better at doing what they know is my opinion anyway um, and I feel like a lot of springers at least the ones that I've had <laughs> have all been on that sort of like you know um, duller side but I really enjoy it because they give 110 percent to everything they do all you have to do is try and find a way to try and focus that mm-hmm. for a split second to get your timing right to go oh all well, the pieces align, and then that's what he does at 110 percent yeah mm. instead of the other things but um yeah I, I've I've spent a lot of work with I've spent a lot of time with him um, he's like my um, sort of uh mentor dog for all the foster dogs i get because he's extremely social his whole life since he was a pup, he's just been running around with all these other dogs in those kennels um we had like you know upwards of 35 dogs anytime and i would just throw him in a random kennel each day like a random day run each day with a different dog as a pup just so he could learn how to be a dog and learn how to interact with other dogs um they can tell him off and he'd, he'd, you know just learn all those things because he was the only dog i had at home so i needed a way to do that and now i use him as like my mentor dog for all the foster dogs that i bring in so yeah, I just he shows them how to how to behave around the house and yeah um, if they are a little reactive he's like super friendly he's he's a bit full on so some of them will tell him off but he's quite um, adept at that now after a couple of years of being told yeah. off that he yeah. he gives them their space and they learn to interact um, so I like it for that
0: and he's he's um
2: he's just a cool dog like I love him
0: how about I oh, love that man I love your bond with him I love every time you bring him here I love, yeah. I love him yeah right? actually when you don't bring him here I'm like oh where's Tom
2: yeah well <laughs> I've got that foster dog at home now so I
0: leave him there with her because um I've only had it for like a week so yeah I don't want yeah. her losing her mind in my backyard yeah. what about expectation right you've had all these dogs where you've had to train at a fairly high level because people's lives depended on it and now you've got this dog they'd be trained exactly his best the same way but he's your pet I struggle just, yeah you know, so i've struggled a lot i've made a lot of mistakes with tonka because i was training him with dogs
2: where i was like i was under the pump to produce a product that was essentially like there to, to save people's lives um and he bore the brunt of a lot of that when he was only my pet and i was like expecting him to do these things that these other dogs were doing that were much older than him anyway mm-hmm. and more capable uh, mentally of doing these things um because I, I struggled to to switch between I'm training an explosive detection dog and I'm just training my pet for fun because I kept training them all at the same the time same, and together in the same way. Um, and yeah, I made a lot of mistakes with him. Like he's a he's a very happy go lucky dog, but it doesn't take much for him to um, like if I just pointed him because I roused him a couple of times or you know been really frustrating day. And he's a he's a quite in touch dog. So like if I'm like angry, he'll just go sit in the corner because he's like oh, I don't want to deal with that. <laughs> but um, it's, it's mainly because he bore like you know I expected a lot more of him than i ever should have and i treated him like a much older dog and um yeah the standards i would expect from the dogs i was training i I put on him as a pup and through his adolescence and um i'm a lot easier on him now um because like i've I've obviously realized that um after the fact but um you can still see it like in him today like he's he's learned some of those um those behaviors but um yeah constantly trying to work on those but I think he does all right, he's a pretty happy, go lucky dog. Um he typical spring he gives everything 110%. Yeah.
0: You're an awesome dog, mate. <laughs> yeah, no, he's wicked. He's <laughs> an awesome dog. Mate, we might start wrapping things up yeah. because uh you have got a young fella here who goes home and you've got a pretty big day tomorrow. I do. But Laura's not gonna let you get the that <laughs> no. easy.
1: One last question as always. Yep. Would you rather fight one duck the size of a horse or twenty horses the size of ducks?
2: Twenty horses the size of ducks. Why? Actually, well, <laughs> Yeah, because I've seen mighty ducks, and I understand how vicious ducks can be. So I don't want—I don't want to fight a duck at a
0: regular size, let alone a horse size. You don't want a flying V, no. <laughs> yeah,
2: I'd rather twenty horses that I could probably—I
0: don't know—corral. <laughs> <laughs> nah, well answered, mate. Thank you very much for your time. Oh, it's um, my pleasure. Really much, like we really appreciate it, um, and hope you really enjoy your day tomorrow uh, with with some of your old uh, mates there. Um, to everyone listening back, thank you for listening. And please remember we learn every day and the day we stop learning from each other will be a sad day. Thank Thank you. you.